Welcome again to the Crash Courts Podcast. Yes, my paper made noise and Steve is glaring at me. You're not intimidating. You're about as intimidating as a pug puppy. Well, no one knows how I look, so they'll just That's not true. We have a website and, and, with a and photo of it. you. And that, now, now there's just papers just wiggling around everywhere. This is, this is, this is so professional, isn't this it? This is anarchy. This is anarchy, yes. 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 This is anarchy? Is it is. It's going to I the Yes, this, this is the extent of anarchy. I thought this was Sparta. No, this is not Sparta. Oh. Sparta is a location in Greece. Anarchy can be anywhere. Yeah, you're confusing place with ideology. There you that's, go. That's, that's it. That's separate. I like that one. It's not like a one. That's just what he did. That's not like no, a no, thing at all. Said, what, no, what you said, I like that It was that applicable one. in that situation. Period. I like that. No, but I liked what you said. Thank you. It was, it was quite informative. Well, I'm, I do what I can here. Okay. God knows it's very needed. You should really try harder. We're back with another podcast <laughs> another week. I have a few announcements. Yeah. The first big one is the last Monday of, well, technically when it comes out, the last Wednesday of February, we will have a guest on the podcast. We will continue our campaign to have the Wasties in their individual talent on. We had Painless Parker. Now we're going to have Sarah Biz of the Wasties on as our final guest of uh, our next guest and our final you know, podcast of February. Between you now and John last week, people know exactly when we record. Like, day and time, everything. We, we are completely out there in the open right now. So what? Some, I'm telling you, someone, they could kill us. They could come after us. They know where we are when we say these things that we say. No, no, they know when what we are, we are doing at a specific time. They have no idea of location. Mm. We've mentioned New York. Okay, that, no, you're right. They know when we are, but you'll screw up somehow. And Next give week. out his two weeks. Address. We're already like two thirds. I like of the how way it's there. me. I'm the one who's going to screw up, not Steve. He's infallible. No, that means that I only have. I've like, already proven all that. that's left is your address. If I blurt that out, you, they're coming after you, buddy. Actually, technically, my parents, because I'm barely here. Oh, well. And you don't know Sarah's. You're they're really paranoid. Parent, your parents really... are cool. So anyway, you have other announcements. Yes, this um, Sunday which I believe is February 9th. I'm going to see Shape of the Dark Lord and Adam Warrock at Fifth Estate in Brooklyn. Um, tickets are selling out quick, but if you don't have tickets, you should go. It's going to be a great show. If you like I'm, to laugh, you want to go. I'm hoping to um, be able to write a record, uh, record, write a review, that's the word, about the show afterwards. So look for that in the coming weeks. Um, there was another thing, but of course now I've forgotten because of all the diatribes that we went on. I like that. That's a good one. I like that That's word. the first big word you've pulled on us in a while. I'm proud. I really am. Like a proud and, father. And yet still condescending, too. <laughs> That's, still condescending, Steve, at the ready. That's baseline. Anyway. <laughs> that word was not applicable. <laughs> no, it was Words. not. That is sure. Oh, um, no. another thing I do want to promote is coming up in... Uh, February towards the end of February and then early March um, I've started doing sound for a second burlesque troupe called Rar Burlesque um, hosted by Danger Doll and Stella Chu um, our next show is the 16th of February so in two weeks you should come out and see it wait, it's in wait. Manhattan you, you, How do you... you have another burlesque troupe? multiple yeah 
I'm a sound guy, and you don't go to any of the <laughs> shows, so what do you care? Me. Oh, yeah. All right, well, you betrayed someone, so, you know, I was, I was empathizing. That's what I do. You were asshole Or the person that you might be offending for moving on to all these burlesque troops, because... But I didn't move on. I'm doing it for someone both. But, you know, that's what they say when you have, like, a mistress. You're doing both. Is that good? I don't think so. I kind of feel like I'm watching my parents fight right now. I kind of feel like <laughs> Steve and John switch brains all of a sudden. <laughs> this is yeah, we awesome. Have a, we have a machine. Except for the whole childhood fighting thing. Yeah. That's right. not awesome. But watching you two bicker like old biddies yes, is, we, we, is awesome. we, we do not condone domestic violence or, or um, argumentation. Oh. Well, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Anyway. Uh... I'm going to just take us into our album for the week that I chose because I'm getting scared. So this week's album is the latest from The Lonely Island called The Whack Album. Um, the Lonely Island consists of, if you don't know, if you've been under a rock for the last, like, five years or six years. Or you it, just don't watch Saturday Night Live. It's Andy Samberg, Akiva Schaefer, and Yorma Tacone are the three um, artists who do the rapping, the writing. Um, they, ha- they, they got their start in Saturday Night Live, and one thing I kind of want to bring up is the defining moment when I discovered this band was watching Saturday Night Live, and suddenly I see Andy Samberg and Justin Timberlake dressed in suits, like 90s R&B stars, singing about putting their dick in a box. Um, and I was like, okay, this is different. This is circa what year? Uh, the early two thousand, uh, mid two thousands, is when right. the first record came out. I believe that that first album came out. Seems like a decade ago. Oh, wait. Actually, no, it was wait, only two thousand nine. Incredible oh, really? came out in two thousand nine. Yeah, it was a lot more recently than I thought. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean that was my first experience. That between that and I'm on a boat was my first real experience with them. They were digital shorts for Saturday Night Live, and it a taught me that Justin Timberlake has a sense of humor and is actually a clever person. And B, there's more to the meets the eye to Andy Samberg. Well, it was sort of this match made in heaven because you combined a an experienced comedian who has his own stylings, and he's just kind of a goofball, uh, Andy Samberg. But that you know, it made him it, it, he fit that particular SNL cast perfectly. Yeah. Because uh, I mean, I've been a little sour on SNL for the previous years, but Andy Samberg was kind of like you know a light in in well, the darkness. The, yeah, the, the digital shorts were the only reason I still watched Saturday Night Live. It was for the stuff that later became the Lonely Island stuff. All right, and then you combine him with Justin Timberlake, who is a veteran of the music industry, and it, it's sort of like you have two pros who are pros in their respective area. You smack them together, and you have this whole new thing. So, and that song's not even speaking to the other two performers, Akiva and Yorm who are featured in I'm on a Boat with T-Pain, which is the first sense you really get of the full breath of Lonely Island. Um, but it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, hey, this is rap, but it's not, and it's it's comedy. I it's, mean, that's the baseline, is it's a it's comedy. It's comedy first, but it, yeah. it, it's comedy that's based on music, because yes. it, it has one thing that it's trying to really make fun of and that is that style of music that particular area now i'm gonna put it out here that i appreciate what lonely island does but don't jump down my throat here for being subversive or for being obvious i don't think this is necessarily i don't think their shtick is necessarily high comedy per se they they might be high while doing it but who knows it's not it's not really at the top of like you were really trying to be totally subversive here in this particular area. It's fairly face value what they're trying to do. They have yeah. a one-track shtick. 
Yeah, why would anyone it. jump down your throat on that? That's pretty much exactly what they do, and okay, they admit well, to it. Well, then that's the letter. I was being obvious. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough. All right, that's no one where we stand here. But this is the thing. They do have a one-track shtick, and it's something they do very, very well. They're primarily making fun of influential pop artists, really ripping apart the, the tacky, the predictable, self-aggrandizing <clears throat> hip-hop, trance, and club music that's out there, and the silly crap that artists can themselves get away with in that circle. But for that reason, A Little Lonely Island goes a long way for me as a comedy duo because it's just one shtick that they have and every song kind of banks on that shtick in order to hit home. I, sometimes they're really on point and then other times they're just being kind of kind of silly in a vague way that still challenges the medium they're making fun of. So I find that apart from those great moments, it can sometimes drag on an album scale. That said, I think it's very important what they do as comedians. If they make you think on just one level, it's that, very simply, pop can be really dumb. And if, through their satire, they make people realize that, that's just so awesome for them. I am going to correct you now. I didn't want to while you were talking, but it's not a duo. It's a threesome. There's three members. It's a trio. Trio. Oh, did, did I say threesome duo? You did say duo. I didn't notice it. Um, it's a, it, I like saying threesome though, and I feel like they'd like that too, considering the compliment song that comes later in the album, but we'll get to that. So the new album is appropriately titled the whack album. Um, clearly a not clever title, a very face value title, but they're saying, Hey, we're whack, but here we are. It's appropriate. Well, face value is appropriate. They yeah. kind of go hand in. Um, so the album starts with something that I really enjoyed and was very funny. It's a dram- it's titled dramatic intro and it's exactly that. It's a faux epic intro of the rise and fall of lonely Island before they get back into the studio, but it starts, it starts as your typical, here they are, unless you've been living under a rock, it's the Lonely Island, and it's talking about their music, and then... And that's where I'm going to refute you, because it's not a rise and fall. It's a rise, and then a fall, and then there's another rise, and then there's another fall, and I believe at one point they were thought to be dead, but they weren't really, and there was some weird stuff going on well, in that was the all second, that. That was the second fall, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The... the, the it was a prolonged well, I'm fall. glad you captured the arc of this very straightforward <laughs> intro. But, it was yeah, it was awesome. Th- this this, it was good this for completely a sums up that, that self-aggrandizing nature that I talked about before. I mean again, this is all comedy first and foremost. So you don't you know, I'm not gonna comment on the musical aspect for the intro here, because really this is just a stage setter. It can be whatever the hell they want it to be. Um in this particular case, it's just that really pump up and and inflate the band's ego because that's exactly what they're making fun of they're making fun of bands and and artists uh or hip-hop moguls that inflate their own ego so that's it here where everyone is following what they do oh they came back oh the band the band the band rejoined oh the band oh, oh they broke up again oh my god it's in every single tabloid every little aspect of it of their moves are in every single tabloid but being lonely island they they can never even they always have to go fantastical they can never maintain a, a punchline of their joke without actually going into areas that are obviously completely blown out of proportions and outright lies. Like it, they can try to be serious, oh, but yeah. then, then they are the first men to ever become pregnant and are elected president and then are beating to death with their own penises. And like, then 
their their uh, their property is burned in effigy, and then all of the people who hated them come to defile their bodies. And then while they're defiling their bodies, they find out that they are still alive and get up and remove their fans from their various it's holes. It's just a short track. They could just listen just to it. Ridiculous. They could just listen to it. Don't even describe it. That... But I do. I do happen to like. Uh, if we're going to pick this apart, I do happen to like the um, the commentary that that based on the the. Uh, I like them because they speak for the people. And uh, there's no way I'd let my kid listen to them. They're Satanists, and they should be boycotted. Like, th- that's perfect. Just do the duality right yeah. there, you know, of everything that every musician wants to be in the way of creating controversy of who cares what kind. You know, it's just it's just being in the public eye, and that's really <laughs> it. That's the end of the joke. Pretty much. It's a short track, about 30 seconds, and it's a strong intro for what yeah. they're setting up as far as the It's important goes. for the final line. After an experience like this, God only knows what they will create in Sue album. Yes. You know. um, one thing I want to say about The Lonely Island before we start getting into the music is that this is a band that, on the whole, never really steered me wrong. There were ups and downs on a song-to-song basis. More or less, I enjoy what they do. They're funny, and they, uh, they get my attention, and they don't take themselves too seriously. Um, that said, let's get into their first track called Go Kindergarten, featuring Robin of 90s dance fame. Um, I hadn't really heard anything from Robin recently, so it was kind of cool to see her come back for, of course, their first musical track on the album, which is simply a dance anthem through and through, but also taking shots at all dance anthems. Well, this is a really, really clever take on the suggestibility of club music. Yes. Um, as, as the video clearly shows. But how it's just written with these nonsensical commands, which is kind of a sick thing when you think about it, because in a club setting, inhibitions have obviously flown the coop anyway once you've taken to grinding on the stranger beside you. So once you just add ridiculous stuff like burn a school down, uh, build a school, burn it down, fuck a house, eat a shoe, all because we told you to, it's really just, just, just milking the lack of inhibitions. Yeah, you know, some of it might seem strange, but don't think just pay. Let the music play because we put it in a song, so do everything that we say. That sums up the entire concept of this song. Verse 3. Yeah. It's... It's funny because they they start typical. Work it, twerk it, and then whip your dick out, and then punch your friend, punch, punch your friend. Go stupid, get stupid, because we said to go dumb, eat garbage, we're going kindergarten. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's, it's just, it just do, it, do stuff. It, it, it's suggestibility. And That's it. That's so it right there. It's progressively worse and more esoteric and weird. And it really, the, 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 <laughs> my favorite line... Esoteric is not the word I used to describe some of these things. I mean, okay, yeah, I guess it's, you know, build a school, burn it down. I guess that's esoteric, because who would do both? But that's, it's, it's just, it's inane. That's it. It, yes. It's making up things that are inane because a inane, lot of a lot of what you find <laughs> two different things, but a lot of what you find in um in these songs, I, I'm trying to think back to I think it was a Soldier Boy song called Dunk, and there was a line in there called Go to Thailand, Go to Thailand. Yeah, it was right. used as like a dance, yeah, like you know stated because there's always that like insert random name for dance that we just came up with for the purposes yeah. of this song right here, yeah, and uh, <laughs> like what depth does that have exactly. Well, the whole thing, the, 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 in the outro, the, the thing that really just, I love this line, go zombie, be brainless, here we are, entertain us. I just love that whole concept of you, these artists are using their fans 
to do things to, so that they get their own little entertainment out of everything they're given back. The other thing is the choice of song title here and the, the concept, we're going kindergarten, because who's more suggestible than kindergartners? Yeah. That's kind of perfect. Your children. Um, and then on a music level, <laughs> I mean, it's got They'll that standard dance, dance club beat and heaviness, which you're expecting almost dubstep-like uh, in its heaviness when it, in certain parts. But what I really like is, I mean, the three guys of Lonely Island have okay to good singing voices. You know, they're not virtuosos, but they have enjoyable singing voices and their 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 ability to rap is good. But I really enjoyed hearing Robin on this track. She has a beautiful singing voice and lends a nice heavenliness to the ridiculousness you know well even that in itself is almost like a little poke at the genre when yep. you think about it the fact that uh well we don't really need to be you know super talented just to kind of fit in the genre all you really need is a good idea now i'm not saying of course you can be like obviously the the better half of the genre would obviously be occupied by people who are exceptionally talented but if you're just gonna reduce it to its base components in other words fill a song with gibberish as 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 many artists do then yeah, that that's perfect grounds for for a comedy album right there. Yep, but but I personally very much enjoyed hearing her sing because again the parts she sings are very beautiful. She has a beautiful singing voice, so which adds a nice parallel to the yelling commands in the verse. Yeah, and as I said, they're um the the genres that they that they touch upon again are basically you could mark it down to hip hop trance club music so this this particular track is more in that club trance vibe here yep. so that's and i actually it, it it's it's cut and paste you know yeah. it's but it's well done it, it actually kind of does stick in your head after a while i think yeah. it was a strong intro yes moving on to the third track of the record is a um a club track a promiscuous club track about giving hugs so this is a song featuring Pharrell Williams, who we've talked about at length We've on the had podcast. no shortage of his little cameos. Um, he's a talented singer-songwriter, and he's featured here in this song that starts with a spoken intro between Andy Samberg playing a character and Ivan Chivagowski, whose name I can never pronounce, from Chuck and from Mass Effect. You're pretty good there. Um, doing a little exchange of her calling up, asking to come over, and him going, well, I just hugged you. I hug everyone. You know... Throwing it off and, you know, then essentially kicking into a song about being promiscuous with hugs, which just just saying that sentence See, is so ridiculous. That's the clever one-dimensionality one of this song. It's just, it's, it's hilarious because it equates hugs to one-night stand. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's really it. And it's not just, it, it goes that extra length to really explain how the hug is sex. But it's still just a hug. Right. Uh... She want a hug from behind. I did it. <laughs> then her friend jumped in. I'm with it. Like, come on. I mean, yeah, yeah. Group hug. Awesome. My, fa- my favorite song <laughs> is to hear Pharrell Williams at the end sing, you know, bring Sarah and Susan. We could have, an, a, have a hug a trois. Turning a hug into actually, you know that that kind of a word. We, we could play, Far- we could Farrell spend Williams. all day just marking upon. Hey, that that line was funny. That line was funny. Right. That, in the end, that's kind of what the band is about, especially yes. in terms of comedic humor. But my issue is I don't think they go too far with it sometimes. I don't. I mean, excuse me, not too far. I would prefer if they went a little bit farther, Further. is my point. Um, but there are some reprieves here. For instance, in the chorus, there's actually sung by Pharrell Williams. Which is my favorite it's, part. It's, it's the favorite part because you started to say this before, John, and we're going to get into this later, about 
pacing, how there's more to comedy than just kind of, you know, hit after hit, joke after joke. Hey, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Um, at some point, you kind of need to have that greater meaning within the comedy. That's really what takes it to the next level for me. And there was a certain profundity in this chorus here, ultimately concluding with the line, you can't hug a rolling stone. Like, that's kind of beautiful. Yeah. I, I mean, it still goes back to the same joke. One night stands, you know, well, I'm just rolling on. I'm going to go to the next girl, get another good next girl, hug her, hug her. But it, you can't hug a rolling stone. That idea is... It's sung with such um, with such emotion. Yeah. You, you almost such really candor. want to believe it. Candor, exactly. You um, you you kind of sympathize for this. It almost ceases to be a joke at that point. Yeah. You feel well. The it, the it yeah it 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 really gets some meaning, but then it runs right into you can't hug a rolling stone because it'll crush you. You know, bringing it back to that literalness. That's just ridiculous. The li- well, that's the literal. I mean. It's, it's, I still want to say that that particular line, I still want to say that's on the, at the edge of the series. Oh, it's very no, Absolutely. It's, but the follow-up line about you can't Because that's the old line, you know, oh, well, you know, don't get too close to me, babe, I'll hurt you. It's the same thing. Same concept right yeah, there. Yeah, If true. you just forget for a little bit that it's about hugs, yeah. which is about the most benign form of, of affection possible, um, then, yeah, there's a lot of profundity in the song. Just saying. Yeah. No, you're definitely right. And it's also in the delivery with a lot of this stuff. And especially Pharrell Williams is another performer who has a beautiful singing voice. And the way he delivers some of the lines, I mean, the the line about it's just a big game of thrones, like, there's no point. Like, it's just a thing to throw in a thing. Well, that's 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 another common thing for for um, for these guys and their work. But uh, I do want to say this, considering how, you know, the joke after joke thing can get a little tiring i think sometimes their strength is when they go all all or nothing when they're either going to go toward the uh the profound side or when they go toward the super ridiculous yeah and i i found that in one particular point here which i just had to let out a a a complete girlish giggle because it was such a ridiculous uh string of words tacked onto each other it went because I get more hugs than a batch of puppy hugs sitting on a fluffy rug getting tickled, touched, and rubbed. That's kind of, that is, that's just clever wordplay. That's yeah. just wordsmithing for the sake of it, and yet it's, you know. And that's a skill. It induces g- giggling. And that, to me, that's great. That's great comedy in music. And that's a skill that they have, and they've done before. And yeah, that, that, that line, that's one of those rapid-fire hit after hit after hit that you just can't help but giggle to. Yeah, you know, and some are some are weaker, but that's an example of the strongest one, and I think that's where where Lonely Island can be unique too, um, unique within comedy music, I'd say, because they they can they'll go that far. They don't need to keep it within a certain framework within yeah. their music. They will go all the way just for the sake of it, which right. um, yeah, that's what SNL was known for doing back in the day. So you know, maybe that's why Andy Samberg wound up in the job that he wound up in. I mean, also with them, and, you know, you see it less and more in other tracks throughout the album, is it's either they commit to a joke so 100% that it they push through the doubt, but sometimes they commit to the joke 100% and it falls flat and you're dragged down with it. And we see examples of both throughout the record. Yeah, but this but, this this track is perfect for that reason. It's actually, yeah. it's literally on both ends of the spectrum. It's one of my favorite tracks for that reason. Yeah. Both ends of the spectrum simultaneously it's 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 beautiful it's simple and it's absurd and I, I i love that that bounce right off each other yep now we uh we move on to track four which is called diaper money which is the 
audio MTV Cribs version of The Lonely Island. So the song is, in narrative at least, is the big joke is they're singing about, singing very gangster about everyday adult um, responsibilities. It's not, it goes even further than that because the whole MTV Cribs gangsta lifestyle is extremely far-fetched. It's the, it's that extreme idea that I have a caddy and a Porsche and something that has, you know, seven-figure costing and is gold-plated, and I have 13 bathrooms. I haven't even seen three of them. <laughs> and I've got 18 bedrooms, and I've had sex in all of them. It's that kind of high-end, I have the world. But in, That's the I'm balling, essentially. Yes, that's exactly what this song is. Diaper Money is realistic. It's about, it's about you know the cash, but it's diaper money because you're gonna spend it on the things you need. So it's f- about sex, which is wife pussy because you should maintain yourself this and, is, and be realistic. You're not gonna get it anyway. This is grade A irony right here. I mean, and my favorite, my favorite, it's the grave plot, which is his future crib. Oh, I'll get to that. <laughs> That's I'll my get favorite. To that we're, part. we're jumping ahead, so it starts with, um, I believe. Um, uh, Kiba talking about diaper money and how he has to get this money to keep his babies in diapers so he so they don't get shit everywhere the baseline and it's just him sinking you know what is it? I got papers and papers and papes all from my baby's mistakes like just so my carpets and drapes don't get shit on them you know I got that diaper money I got that diaper money dude I got that diaper money I'm a grown-ass man. And that's where that irony really hits it because, no, the way he's singing it, you're not grown. But, yeah, yeah, you know what? You're being a responsible adult, and I appreciate that. So your house don't stink. It's it's that duality that I really enjoy in this. Uh, The next one, where it's the... He's talking about the fact that he has sex with his wife, but... But... And the best part is... uh, The best part about it is no one else can have it. And I also can't have it unless she says I can. It's it's realistic, yes. Yes. Your wife is going to deny you sex. It's it's all these these issues you have as an adult that are really tropey in and of themselves. I was gonna say I don't wanna say it's necessarily realistic, but it's definitely tropey. It's yeah. yes, it's a trope within a trope within a gangsta rap. Yes, <laughs> which is just a, a a couple of extra layers. I I I thoroughly laugh at this song every single time I listen to it. Right, and then the third verse, of course, which is the one that Andy sings, is um, or as he's called on this album, Young Sandwich, sings about his grave plop and um, what what's the the ridiculous line? wobbly wobbly drop no, into no. my grave plop. Yeah, yeah, wobbly wobbly drop it into my grave plot. Let's just go back to this. Is like an old Disney movie that yeah. had that exact meter to it. Yeah, you afraid of death? Well, I'm afraid not, cause I got the bomb spot right next to the highway. He goes on grave plot. It even got oh oh oh, oh geez, I'm getting confused here. I did it my way a very small percent of the time. Got my coffin picked out, styrofoam painted like wood, tricked out. It even got handles to lower me smooth, and my tombstone only has minimum typos. That's my absolute favorite part of this. Here, this is the thing. I, I had, I had a neighbor, uh, named Dougie, 
And I, I recently, he recently passed away this week, but I, just as a little legacy to the amount of comedy that he did impart on my life, because he was definitely one of those characters. He was the type that would almost be the real-life embodiment of exactly what they're going for with this particular joke here, making the coffin into some kind of object of desire. Like, I got the best coffin. No, 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 you, you don't even know. I have the best, the most tricked-out coffin imaginable. And just, if, the more and more you think about this, it's just the absurdity of that, the idea that you're still concerned about, about appearances or about what you have even after the point of death, and that's just, it's... It's absurd at the same time. It's hilarious because that 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 is when no one cares. That's when that's when all materialism should simply just just filter just filter away. There's there's nothing left at that point. That's when materialism is absurd. And here this this particular track um engrandizes it. And regardless of what I said about my neighbor, I mean that's the thing. He would say he would occasionally broach that uh, that area where materialism was was important. At the same time, it was. It had the same comedic effect on me that he did as Lonely Island is having right now. In some ways more so, because I actually knew the man. I knew him for many, many years, and that that's that, that's a lot of comedy that I took away from him. But, so, the, but the great thing also about this specific verse is that it's ridiculous because, again, you know, who cares about materialism at that stage? But on top of it, it's also a very mature thing, even though it's being handled immaturely the idea of planning for your future having your your tombstone your grave plot and your coffin picked out already at a young age is a plan for the future which is a mature thing but it's done so ridiculously he even had lines that i that i recall that that could have easily fit right in this song he would say things like like oh no they'll give you the polish for it like, I didn't ask. I didn't ask necessarily whether you needed any polish, bro. Oh, you tell me, like, that's that that comes with it? Oh, wow, man, that that's a great deal. Would you get that Costco? It's in, in, in effect, that's really what he was talking about, at Costco coffin. Uh, Dougie Stories. Anyway, it, it's... Oh, is that a new bit, new Dougie Stories? Oh, it, it could very well be a bit. I, I have many Dougie Stories written down. Uh, it, n- never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined equating it to a Lonely Island song, but it happened. Uh... uh Either way, I have one more comment about this track. It's it's a success to me, not just because of the content it's delivering, but also because of the music. This is very odd, but this, apart from the gangster rap vibe that it has going on, it, it infuses so many elements here that makes it really, really hypnotic. Yeah. Like you're mesmerized with, wow, you got all that going for you? Yeah. <laughs> the diaper money and all that, you know, ensuing stuff. You got... Uh, Steel drums, for instance, that's yeah. very commonly used in that type of music. It is very strong bass that just it, it bellows almost oh, yeah. like like a like a bell toll. It's it's um, it's it's not really inherently musical, but it it from an aesthetic perspective, it really really fits that hypnotism that you're just you're you're wrapped up in the materialist world. And again, great irony here. This is materialism in a whole nother direction and even musically we talked about when we were listening the layering of the altered deeper voice of one of the performers under the the normal voice gave it that extra bass level yeah and the ending of each of the uh main verse sections with that that uh that deep voice all by itself yeah you know minimum typos just really cements that whole 
I'm a man. Kind That's of feel they're going for here. It's got the machismo factor yeah. there, and it's almost a little bit metatextual if you think about uh, the fact that it seems a little bit trapped with that hypnosis. Yeah. So it's like you're you're man enough to say all this because you're 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 putting it out there that you're you're really balling with all this all this stuff going for you, and it seems trapped. Like I got that diaper money. When have you ever heard a story about diaper money that ends yeah. positively? That's that's a man who really <laughs> needs to restructure his life. Um, let's uh, jump to probably one of the most well constructed songs on this record. Probably one of the definitely no, strike one of... that my favorite song, and I I will am willing to say the best song on the album. It's definitely one of the best singles they've ever put out. So this is a song called. YOLO. YOLO is a saying that became popular very recently, though taken from an older time. Um, you Only Live Once. Um, it's featuring Adam Levine of Maroon 5 and Kendrick Lamar, a rapper. Um, and it's... So, this song is... May I? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I would love to. Alright, this is about as multifaceted as they come. This... First, you have to climb the ladder here. You gotta isolate the source of their satire. The exclamation, YOLO, which, unless you've been living under a rock, is the acronym for You Only Live Once, it would sound like a noble phrase almost. Its origins are pretty noble because it inspires you to take risks in situations that call for it. Because that's usually how we accomplish great things as an individual. That's how we build legacies. And I, I believe. I mean, the origins of the quote actually goes well back to the 1700s, although it was most popularized by Mae West, interestingly enough. But that's the thing. It would be noble if it wasn't recently adopted by brain-dead idiots who simply invoke it just in his excuse to do something especially stupid or especially dangerous. And that's unfortunately the most pervasive use that it's had in pop culture, which sort of clouds its nobility. Now, what's amazing about this song is that it isn't pursuing either ideology. It's not about doing something risky, because it's good, or it's not about doing something risky because it's bad. It's don't do it at all because you only live once. You only get one life to live. Why would you waste it? It's amazing how those same words, you only live once, can have those three different meanings at the same time. The fact that they went further with this uh, to that third meaning was just downright brilliant to me. The brilliant thing about this song for me is that you take a thing like you only live once. You take it so literally that since you only live once, you shouldn't do anything because you might die. But not only just take that message and sing about all the things you shouldn't do because something bad could happen, but then layer it over a track that's your standard pop, inspirational, take charge get out there and live song. It's the anthem, which there's also no shortage of today, and how everything has to be an anthem today. So you take something that's sung in a style to get out and live, but be about staying in and not. And this is coupled with uh, Adam Levine doing the choruses beautifully. Like, I love his voice and the way he sings the choruses. And even though they're somewhat uh, nonsensical... It's just so impactful and really emotional that you just want to listen to them. Uh, with lines like, you know that we're still young, so hold off the fun. Cook your meat till it's done, because you only live once. This, between Andy, Yorm, and Kiv going back and forth, it's also got Kendrick, uh, Kendrick Lamar, who does a bridge that's completely about your financial stability. And it's sung 
he he does it so matter-of-factually that you feel like he's trying to impart wisdom, and it really actually is wisdom. Yeah, if, if you pay attention to this, you'll probably have a very fulfilled life. But, 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 but it's not hip-hop wisdom, rap wisdom, what you would consider consider no, what they would want to employ. life wisdom. It's actual important stuff yeah. you should listen to. You should invest, but as long as it's low risk, <laughs> that kind it's, of thing. Yes, make sure you get that four point, uh, that four OK. Make sure it's low risk. Make four sure one, that yeah. you get some real estate. Uh, I even want to go... 4.2%. Yeah, That's a good deal. It was a really great uh, middle segment. It was easily the climax of the song because it, it, it reduces these, these lyrics which still sort of fit that anthem framework. You know, almost you could almost take them as as easily as you could take the words from Go Kindergarten. You know, it's still suggestibility, but in this one they're casually slipping in that, oh, this is these are actually pretty good suggestions. <laughs> and it's it's the intro of the song that really, really gets me. It's it's the intro that um I think they took the high road on, to be perfectly honest. The way it begins, the battle cry of a generation. First of all, just that line right there. Equating YOLO to a battle cry is hilarious, and I don't even need to explain why. Right. But then it continues, this life is a precious gift, so don't get too crazy, it's not worth the risk. It immediately goes right down this road. Because based just on that first line, the battle cry of a generation, this could have just been... This could have been their more typical, I'm sorry to say, their more typical one-dimensional type of song. Right. Which they have no shortage of in their previous albums, and they really have no shortage of in this album. They could have easily done it, and it would have been, you know, all right, par for the course for The Lonely Island. But by taking that little twist, just in the very first stanza, they immediately tell you, this is not going to be what you expect. We're going to twist this into something it's not. And it's, and if, as if that weren't enough... The fact that it's bookended at the end by after the the passionate message and they and it fades out, Andy just whispers into the microphone, "You ought to look out," changing what Yolo See, meant. See, those are those profound moments. This out, it, they do have it, and when they they hit home, they really hit home. And this is one of those songs where they really go to yeah. that next step. I mean, yeah. and they still I have love... the they still have the ridiculous in there, of course, because as they go through. All of the things in which you shouldn't do, it does go a little bit too far. There's For a line, instance, yeah. There's a line that Adam Levine sings where he says, "Pull out all your teeth so you can't bite your tongue." The the most, the most obvious of these uh, 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 exclamations they're going for, board up your windows, uh, board your windows up. The sun is bad for your health, and always wear a straight jacket so you're safe from yourself. Which is the the <laughs> yeah. This is the opposite side of it. So that's the thing. If, obviously, okay. If you t- did take the song literally, no, you probably would not be in a better place. You'd be a very socially uh, awkward, if if but even if, socially functional individual at all. Not. But really. if you take Yolo from the uh, the the battle cry idea of what so many other people of our generation and uh, younger peop- uh, younger kids would think. Yeah, maybe they should be wearing straight jackets and not doing all those stupid little things that they do and not, you know, skipping school and having unprotected sex and doing all the stupid things that YOLO is being used as an excuse. Yeah, if you take the if you take the profound and the ridiculous, you end up with a very happy middle ground, which makes this a, a perfect piece of comedic art. And really just driving home the point that you only live once is dumb you don't only live once you only die once you live every day so the pointlessness of saying you only live once when that's not even true 
Yeah. Yeah. Know? It's. I, I. I really wish there would be a, a good amount of um, stupid teenagers out there who would just eat their hat when they heard the song. Yes. But here's the best but, part. You know. uh, they're very popular with the younger generation. They will like this song and miss the meaning, and that is the probably the biggest shame. And, but I, I wanted to take it more positively than that. I wanted to be optimistic about it and say, well, because of this song, they could literally be changing the world for the better. And I mean, I know that's a little bit okay. Yeah, Lonely Island's gonna change the world for the better, but eh, don't don't count it out. I mean, that's the whole purpose of art in general. These things affect you on a subliminal level. So even yep. if this in if does affect, you know, one of those Yolo wearing. Uh, obey hatting leg right out the window of their car kind of people you know that wait people do that yeah they do yeah they do ride with their leg outside the car i've done that once it was a bad idea i i i i, <laughs> I don't think i've done it but i may have done it once to parody the type in which uh i'm questioning i've never done it i didn't even know it was a thing well you're not a yolo person that's good yes you should be proud of that point don't look so shocked you're not stupid congratulations matt I'm not that stupid. Ah, matters of degree. Nice. Moving on. Speaking of stupid. So, YOLO is a, is a very, I, I dare say, powerful track. Moving on from that, we get a little bit of a break, but still something that's fairly clever, especially for Lonely Island. So the next song is called Spell It Out. And it starts out with Andy singing about his two buddies, and you know who they are, and me, let me spell it out, and then spells out a series of letters that lasts about a minute and a half. Two minutes. It's a full... It's almost we'll, a paragraph. We'll give you that in a minute. But for, I, this is the thing. Again, the stage setter here. It's that introduction type, which is yeah. very... This got is the, It's got that funk riff, which is really, really catchy. Over yeah. that, they, they, get these, they, they introduce flutes, which actually did have a pretty strong, strong uh, uh, prevalence in, like, 70s funk used for a purpose you know as opposed to just funk in a club kind of thing but the the groove that was present here it it was great and it actually changes it up because it's it's meant more i think perhaps for the music because of course the message is just the well let me spell it out for you and and whatever that may be break down the very simple message which just so happens to be if you put these letters together i just want to go on record and say that i never looked up these lyrics i listened to the album three or four times before I had Sarah, while in the car with me, look up the lyrics for me because I tried to follow him spelling it. can't. And it's just, you can get a few words, but then he goes so fast you lose it. That's the joke because in itself, what what purpose would any song like that serve? Why do you have to spell? No, I would get that clearer if you said it. But anyway, they call him dude that has sex with pigs for money, but only as a side thing right now, comma. I'm just short on cash and have irons in the fire, but in this economy, it'll have to do. My name is Lenny. What, 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 what? And then at the That's end, perfect. people are <laughs> chanting and going, huh, huh, and then it cuts out and he goes, oh, actually, that's gross. And No, that's gross. And no. so no. it's just that punchline. And to, to really go that extra mile to get to that punchline, I'm actually quite fond of in this song. And it was this musically really... really good on top of that. So after a while, I just ignored the letters and enjoyed what was going on. This really goes back to, to the introduction that I gave here. How, how a lot of this, again, it's about self-aggrandizing. It's about, it's about taking the artist who delivers these songs. Hey, look at me. Whatever I'm all about, well, here's what I'm about. 
which is kind of just ridiculous in the end. Why don't you just entertain me? I don't like to hear what you're about. Kind of, I only really, really care what you're about if if you deliver content first and foremost so if all they're about is what they're about that that that's really really skin deep and you know to turn that into something so goofy is well let me spell it out for you it's 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 too good and, and also- it, 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 i think the the style is also very important the funk style here because it goes to show you how long this has been around i do remember songs like this that were out in the 70s and they were just as ridiculous then as they are now right and the, the idea that also when he spelled it out though even though it was disgusting it was a very realistic i i have to do this because the economy's bad message is again it's also funny their face value grade a irony there yeah you go. that's that's what they do. <laughs> I mean, it takes it, it, and it's taking pot shots at at the BR beer, uh, BRB L eight. Whole we can't Leeds even speak. use words anymore. Our society just has to just use acronyms and, and letters. Spell it, out. it needs to have a zing to it. Otherwise, why would any why would any popular person you know use L-O-L, the language? JK ROFLMAO BYOB BRB we got it, John. STFU, RSVP. I, wa- I, mean, I kind of so want to punch stupid. you right now. That, that's how big of an effect it has. I know it. it's really stupid, but this this is this is stupidly hilarious. Moving on to the next song, so it's followed up now by another. Uh, this is kind of in the similar grammar. vein. This is another grammar. grammar event. So this one is called semicolon. It's featuring Solange, who is the sister of Beyonce. And it starts with a Solange playing a school no. teacher as character. That's not Solange. Solange does a lot of the vocal work, but it's Maya Rudolph. Oh, Maya Rudolph plays Rob the teacher. Rudolph. R- Rudolph. Rudolph. I'm reading it phonetically. <laughs> she Dummy. is another former SNL. So Maya Rudolph plays this teacher character that asks, you know, today says today we're going to learn about only semicolons. Then of course Andy Samberg's vocal comes and goes, ooh ooh ooh. Yes, Lonely Island, and it's it's an exchange between a teacher and student. You know. We use semicolons every day. Oh, can you put, prove it? Oh, hell yeah. And then the song is them singing to prove their use of semicolons. Into it's, it's hilarious like, lyrical construction. Ensue is like it's, the word of the day. They do that. It's a very, not, not, not necessarily very common, but a very uh, typical style in a lot of hip-hop to make the grandiose statement. The first line of the so- song is, get ready for a whale of a time. Semicolon. Shamu. Right. That's, the, that's the whole concept behind this. It's making that grand statement and then explaining where that statement comes from. They defined it. When you see me better cross the street, frogger, then go home and write about it, blogger. Like, it's really, yes, that's really deep and kind of shallow at the same time. I'm really enjoying the duality that they're going in here because every line is a punchline in this song. And I, I, I want to attack this song for, by just my experience with it because I was I was listening to this and I was thinking the entire time, I, I, don't, I don't know if those are correct uses of semicolons. A, a semicolon wouldn't be my first choice, you know, for the whole call and response dynamic. As any actually, as anyone who follows my writing on the website knows, I'm a big fan of the M dash. Despite that, there's a lot of hesitance in the whole writing community regarding its use. Um, I think that it, if if you uh, if you lose a, an M dash, it can get you out of a lot of jams. Yes, and that, that's the, my own two cents on on punctuation. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, yeah. these were all commas in the end, and, that made and, it quite funny. And I mean, the, the, as far as Colons, the music goes for this song, it's 
it's kind of very standard backbeats. The the choruses are sung by Solange, and they're still in the same vein as the verses, but she's singing them in a semi-inspirational tone. But but the thing is, the whole song, yes, Steve had an experience that some of my friends have had as well. As they're describing it, you're going, well, I'm not sure that's actually how you use a semicolon. In fact, John said semicolon before. In actuality, you realize at the end of the song, Maya Rudolph comes back and go, you know, they go, so we use some, you know, they, they, they say, hey, essentially, we dropped, the- we, we dropped the bomb. We did it. These are semicolons. And she goes, actually, those are all colons. You all get Fs. And they're like, what? But Bringing to the light this idea that grammar is still so poorly learned that people use something, are confident they're using it correctly, and then find out they're completely wrong. And it's 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 that whole lyrical wordplay that really gets me on this one. With lines like, we run these streets, stop lights, all eyes on me, spotlights. Spotlight. Just, we run these streets, stop lights. It takes that really impactual... I'm awesome, and like, makes it a PBS explanation. I really enjoy that. I really love the the turn of phrase that they use in this one. Well, I am gonna play a little bit of Devil's Advocate in this song because this we're getting a little bit more toward the I think the face value side of the album here. Uh, because I think when it comes to lyrical wordplay. This is around the point where I was sort of starting to question some of their their uses. Because it's all based on listing at that point, or a lot of it is. A lot of it is based on just sort of finding, all right, well, what are more things we can, you know, use as colons? That's that, that you know, they have one shtick, they have one idea, and now let's kind of make a song around it. So up until now, I, I think we, we've, we've had a lot of really, really clever, um, clever wordplay surrounding one idea, or in, in some of these cases in the album, multiple ideas. This one was just a little bit shallow for me. I did kind of... I, I, I still found it a good gag, especially considering my experience with it, and I'm like, oh, I don't think those are really, really semicolons. And of course, yeah, I find out in the end, oh, well, of course they weren't. They were they were colons. And and uh, if you find the lyrics on this site, it will be written out correctly as colons. Yes. And it does make sense when you think of like a, a clarification for a certain thing, which is an appropriate use for a colon. But that's really it. That's really the end of the song. So that's that's the end of the the level, the depth, the what I take away for it. So it was enjoyable to me, but that's about it. Just kind of enjoyable. Like, ah, that's good. But I think that's the only purpose it was supposed to serve. Yeah. I mean, again, you're saying this I'm still, while... I'm, I'm still going to argue that it, it's its job is to also devalue the kind of uh, uh, one-liners that get spouted out as being grand, but really are kind of vague and, well, not vague, but kind of unimpactful. No, I, really I will don't... agree with you on that point. Yeah. They don't no. do... We got this game on lock, toy chest. You're too big for your clothes, boy's vest. Like, it, it really does yeah, a good job of doing some, that. It's got some clever wordplay there. When you take, it's more like, it, it is a series of, it is a list, first and foremost. But then within that list, they did find clever wordplay within that. So, yeah, yeah there's there's definitely, the skill is still present. Um. I think uh, that's uh, time to move on to the interludes. This is uh, nearly the halfway point of this album, or effectively the halfway point of this album, because this this next track, Where Brooklyn At, and parenthesis interlude, it, it serves as kind of a perfect interlude. It's a comedic interlude. It has the same weight, pretty much, as the, as the intro. Uh, kind of odd, but it's still... 
it still was humorous, I guess, in a very, very basic sense. The track is essentially just this guy comes up and just says, we're Brooklyn at. He's doing that call out, which as you met, you said, it, this is basically a play on, on, uh, what you might find at a lot of concerts. The, the whole con, call. yeah, the cat call. Uh, we're Brooklyn at, yeah, Puerto Rico, ho, yeah, that kind of thing. Queens. And just it so- actually sticks in your head. And I almost don't like that it does. But that's the point. It's supposed to show you how ridiculous these things are in any other environment except a concert. And why are they acceptable there? It's because it's the heat of the moment thing. But here, some it's, guy pulls up to a group having a conversation. It's some old guy. We're Brooklyn at. What about Queens? We're Brooklyn at. It says, I mean, you know, this is really. It, this almost that, no, it doesn't make sense. That, it doesn't... We're Brooklyn at, okay? It's over there. That's the answer. Not as a rousing, cheering, yeah, Brooklyn. Okay. I... You should be proud you're from Brooklyn. But... This is... It's just moronic when you start doing things like that. I feel like at the end of the day, it's just a joke on trolling. Yeah. yeah. No, there you go. That's, that's a great exactly idea. Really, that's it. There's not much more to it than that, honestly. Okay. We were trolled. That's yes. pretty good. I'll give him that, that they trolled us. Well, he trolled them. Yeah. Said character trolled them. Because after a while, they just looked well, at we each other like, I, I, no, I'm pretty sure this guy's crazy right now. Yeah. Well, we're talking That's about the exact it, so quote, we were trolled. I believe. Yeah. Um, I still don't know if it had much purpose in the album, per se. <laughs> it feels like it could have it could have functioned better in, in like an album of, of a, com- a legit comedy album without um, without music. I think it was just meant to break the flow. I mean, they typically do a lot more interludes than they did on this album. They only had. You know what one. it reminded me of? It reminded me of the the kind of shorts that you'd find back in the old uh, Tenacious D shorts, like the original shorts when they were like a brand new band, mm-hmm. and they just had these silly little things in the middle of. Uh, well, even just in their first album, on the Tenacious D album, they had little little comedic bits between all their songs, and they are pretty much what you'd call a comedic comedic rock and roll they're comedic music same yeah. same category really although they they really try to go heavier on the music first because they are playing their own instruments and everything but the point is they needed that comedic touch to sort of make them a nice selling point so they would intersperse these little these little bits and the bits sometimes didn't really mean much they had one called drive through where they just pull up from a drive through and it's just the the ridiculous banter of 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 uh of cage and jb that's it that's it right it's it was it really really worked, I think. Um, in this album though, it's it's only just one right here in the middle, and it seems to have less to do with what they do as a band because there's not so much personality where they're really like painting the personalities of of Andy Samberg's character. Yeah, That's but, the thing. but it's not about that. It's about the fact that JB they, and KG they do they were characters too. Yes, well they're characters too. I mean, some of the absurdity in the later songs is about their characters, but this is more I think for them going. Well, we're also writers. We've been writing for SNL for ages. We've written movies. Let's write a little sketch because they're sketch comedians too. Besides just musicians, they're also improv stars and sketch comedians. Yeah, I'm not going to harp on this. Yeah. It is just an interlude at the and end I of the day. And I think that's all but, it's supposed to be. But just saying, use of... It, it's a little bit of a throw-off for me. It's an empty track. That's kind of what it's it is. It's supposed right. to I'm not, be. I'm not really going to like... That's why it's so quick, though. No, I'm going to... It's supposed to be. Yeah. It's, it's not supposed skit. to be anything They've more. done this before in yeah. other albums. Well, still, that's the thing. A lot of these tracks would function really, really well... Maybe as singles, 
right? So the way I figure when you're releasing a comedy album, in order to have flow and whatnot, I, I do need to kind of harp on this point just But a bit. that's that uh, half of these songs, possibly more, were sketches. They were actually singles. They were done as one little bit of a larger uh, comedy ensemble, and they were not done in the framework of a actual album. They were done as a framework as a joke. So you're arguing that they that they worked well on SNL. To some extent. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I like to see you know a, a creative touch like outside the framework of SNL, especially if it's a character who's, I mean, a, an actor who's gone on to you know do more things and whatnot. But yeah, I don't know. It's a minor point, but maybe I'll come back to it. Very minor point, at this point, because it's a thirty-second clip on the whole. Well, well no, it it's still where larger, I start. It speaks to the larger album. Maybe and it it's was continuity. Exactly, it's it's about continuity, and that's where I want to go on to the next track here because you do start con- being concerned with continuity at a certain point here. Um, at least I was feeling that in this album. So next well, track. So moving on to track nine, it's called "You've Got the Look." It's featuring Hugh Jackman and Kristen Wiig, um, also another Saturday Night Live star, um, and it's essentially another club anthem kind of sounding song. But this one takes jabs at fashion, both for women and for men. And this this is about the sexual desire of women. This is that song describing that perfect woman. It it, it fits in that sort of a framework. What I do enjoy about this eh. song is that this one actually feels like it goes. It's not about deep. a perfect. I want to disagree. With yeah, that. no, no, no. It I has really the do. Vibe. It has the vibe to me of that song. You're describing that that girl that you want. No, 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 I disagree with I that. Disagree See, completely. There's, 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 I, I knew there was going to be a split here with this album. Almost perfectly. Hell, if, if the interlude served any purpose, it was to divide up our opinions because we've been pretty gung ho about about the um the first half, but. At least just in what I see from the song. First of all, there's that whole she got that titty hanging out. That's kind of the most important line when you think about it because it's that that idealizing, fashion ridiculous fashions per yes. se. It's more about that. It's not about the perfect girl or anything. It's more it's about, about the that. Ridiculous who fashion. is who is she to do that? I'm not saying the song is about the perfect girl. I'm describing the framework of the music as the song, talking about the perfect girl. Not the content of the lyrics, but the actual way the song presents itself. But I think it's more about the action than the girl. That's my thing. It's more about her action of, well, to be blunt, having that one titty hanging out. It's, again, that's the ridiculousness. That's where this this goes toward the comedic side, because I, who would do that? That's not a fashion that is really common. But they're making up this fashion as, as um, well, it's been a done nice before. excuse to be edgy. No, well, actually, it's been done before. Oh, you're going to cite me an example? Yes, Nicki Minaj at the MTV Music Awards two or three years ago oh, did okay. exactly that. She had a tight, skin-tight dress with one boob hanging out and a pasty on. Which, in, I mean, something like and that... And a lot of actresses okay. and actors have actually done that in mockery. But this time, I'm... Well, I don't think a lot. Because this time, I'm inclined to call that esoteric. That's esoteric for fashion's sake. Well, don't tell me it's not. You... T- you, you, this, if you walk on the streets of New York and you see well, that, no, then I will, not. I'll concede it, defeat it's here. It's not. It's, well, you would see something like that a lot more probably in the burlesque community. Pasties are very common in the burlesque community. But that's a different setting. 
Right. Yeah, but th- yeah, this is this is you got the look. This is this is in the vein of that ooh girl on the street I passed by. You know. Right, and that's the joke is that it was Nicki Minaj at an award show who did that, and they're singing about like it's commonplace. That's the gag. Is well, that it's not it also real. goes on. It goes on to talk about a strong choice or just a mistake. Is fashion really what she's all about, intentionally, or does she even know it's out? It's, that's it. it talks that about, is the core of the song. That's well. That is the actual core of the song. It's yes, the very it, middle of the, it. The chorus. The very very. Oh, no, middle. that's the bridge, isn't it? Yes, yeah, that's but the bridge. lyrically, it is the very middle of the song. And Jackman actually goes on, "Girl, you're the center of, t- of attention. Tell me, is that good or bad? Because if it's not on purpose, it would be really sad." Yeah, no, this this track did kind of almost broach the profound, perhaps not so much to the extreme, but I, I, I did gather that from that uh, from that that one stanza there, that, that, that bridge. I mean, that's kind of... That's kind of... It's not ridiculous, inherently, because you have to... Did she notice it? There yeah. are a lot of... You know, there's a lot of anybody who was walking around with, with fashions that you might... It might just be from personality. It might not really be anything like I'm going out there purposely to be edgy. Yeah. Um, often that's not the case. So it's it's just asking that question in general. So I really think it's just a it's just a a play off fashion. I, I really think yeah, that's the essence. Absolutely. Of it. And then well, it does it, And it, then it, the second half of the song is trying to put it because the whole first half of the song is very much on the girl. Yeah. It's the not, second half. No, no. I'm going to divide it's double it up standards. Here. I'm going it, to. It's it's divided even further than that. The first third is about yes, that's fashionably edgy, and you're you got it, and you flaunt it, and you go for it. And then it's then it goes on to okay, are you are you sure? Is this is this what you want to do, or are you? Do you even know you're doing it? Like, is this a fashion statement or a that fashion That was a line. Pas? Do you even know? But it really go. The third part, it, it really sums up a whole different idea, and that's when uh, Kristen Wiig uh, goes and it's like, wait a second, why are we always talking about the ladies here? Boy, you got that look. Roll up in the party with one ball out, and everyone goes, oh, oh no, no. It double standard. There you go. Very much obviously the double standard. And she's even, no, sorry, that was gross. I apologize. That was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. It goes through its... I it shouldn't have asked you to do that. Yes. I'm humiliated. Yeah, Why it's, would it's, you do that to me? I mean, it goes through over-sexualization, fashion faux pas, and the double standard. It's got three parts to it. I, You know, I admit that on the face of it, well, no, not in the face of it, especially if you look at it that way, it, 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 is, um, it is pretty strong. It was a little... Maybe it felt like it was kind of a been there, done that to me kind of feel. It's not that they're not covering a lot of bases, but they're covering around bases that, you know, yeah, all right. Double standards between men and women. Surprise, surprise. Like, that's not that's not like, ah, comedically, uh, comedically astute. It doesn't have that that lasting effect on me. You know, that's a really, really old trick, I think, uh, concluding the track with oh guy does something that the woman tried to do and oh didn't quite have the same effect that's just it feels a little old to me i think it's a gag and i mean i gags that have been yeah, done before can gag, be fun. but gags that have been done before can still be funny to yes. me yes i still laugh at whoopee cushions once in a while specifically and most recently the muppet movie. well everyone knows that fart jokes are timeless that's not even for for questioning we'll get there we're not there yet okay fine. spoilers <laughs> anyway i all think right. that's pretty much all there is i mean I'm, I, I'm i'm in i'm in the middle on this track i mean i don't the, think it was brilliant 
I don't think it was it brilliant. It wasn't brilliant. It was clever and it was fun. I feel like here they were trying to reach for something deeper than they haven't on the rest of the album. And in a lot of their other music, they don't they don't go for some deep meaning. And they, I don't think they can do it very well yet. But they're, they feel like, yeah, they tried. They tried. They really tried for something a little bit more than just... All the, right, the, I see the, the commentary. I see the trying in this particular track. I do. And I, really I personally do. enjoy that they featured uh, Hugh Jackman to sing on it. I thought he added a, a certain attitude to the choruses that I enjoyed very much. All right, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, Hugh Jackman. I'll admit that was that was that was an interesting choice. I'll leave it at that. But uh, yeah, brilliant. No, clever. Questionable, depending on taste. Mm-hmm. Moving on to probably the worst song on the record, at least for me. It's definitely one of the worst. This is a song called I'm a Hustler, and then in parentheses, song, question mark. It's sort of an interlude, sort of a song. It was a very flamboyant character, male, I assume. Talking about hustling and Being a hustler with a back voice, being very deep. It was... Not very funny. It was kind of awkward. Oh, the funniest part about the song was the title itself. Yeah. I'm a hustler. Song. <laughs> like it. It almost like that kind of gives it away that this is a throwaway almost. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's really that. Although that's that's how I would almost read the title. Um, I think it's just that search for a title. You know, the I'm a hustler song. <laughs> I guess it's as good as any. Uh, but the rest, you're right. It, it's it's kind of confusing. It's kind of stupid. It does demean the idea of the hustler, which which I do support. I support the demeaning of the hustler because they could use some demeaning if they pr- exist at all, quote unquote, or if they're just people who consider themselves hustlers, and that's even worse. But my problem with this is that it really had no art to it. And again, I don't think I I said at the very beginning that I don't think they're high art, and I don't have. I don't think they have any disillusions about going out there as if, oh, the Lonely Island is going to be a high art project. Ah, no, I know that. But it was the equivalent of just going, to use you as an example, nyeh, 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 I'm Matt Storm, I talk like this. It's the equivalent of that. It's They're doing this to the no, hustler absolutely. ideology, is that? that That's so, that's it's, middle school. That's, it's just mockery. It's yeah. mockery, yeah. It's not like the idea of them taking... That's, that's weak to me, though. If yeah. you're gonna, I mean, as they've shown us, if you're gonna attack the group, which I would totally welcome. Go attack them, attack them, because they are a ridiculous, ridiculous group. The hustlers, quote-unquote. Um, but really, if you're going to do it, go bold. Subvert. That would be the way to do it. No, yeah, this is them... I, it, would be, it would affect me more. This is them just making a funny voice that sounds somewhat flamboyant, quote-unquote gay, I guess. Although it doesn't even come I, across... Effeminate. That's it. Yeah, effeminate, it's, it's yes. mostly effeminate, just effeminate. Again, like earlier tracks, it's another... Hustler is another one of those... those machismo figures right so to just spin it the other way around the way i'd figure it this is status quo for them for lonely island but maybe uh, this falling is, short this is, no, no this you're right is falling, short, this, this falling, is falling short falling short because this isn't even status quo but because... you see what i mean here when, when the more on the nose they get or the most fa- the more face value they get the weaker they are in my opinion most of the time but not always there are moments in their face value where i'm still find them entertaining there's one or two issues but there's the specific reasons behind it the problem is it's not there's not much else to look at well because also the song the lyrics weren't cleverly constructed there was no rhyme or reason to it really it was just a poorly executed song that wasn't very fun we're over analyzing this song way too much this song should not even take this much no i, th- I thought i thought we we overanalyzed uh 
You've got the look, in my opinion. This but is I, worse I'm, I'm than very, you've got the look. I'm very decided on my opinions on this song. Uh, not, uh, you've got the look. We're Brooklyn at. This is just a bad little thing. No, both, actually. <laughs> um, then moving on to Spring Break Anthem, which is the 11th track on the record. This is my takes I'm talking. So Spring Break Anthem is a song that, uh, at the face value, very much in the beginning seems like Ace. Spring Break Anthem. It's about doing shots, demeaning women, being a dude bro. All the stuff that's well, on, terrible. On the musical side of things, because I don't want to let that get out of sight here. They, I, I don't think it was any accident. They really went toward an Eminem vibe with this particular song. And, and uh, a couple more later as well. Um, I think there's there's a reason for choosing that. Because, again, that, that pursues blatant observation. Actually, uh, you were the one, Matt, that mentioned that... Very astutely, that false machismo and Eminem go hand in hand, which More or less, is, yeah. is pretty much He's kind right of in line with this. that. Homophobia yeah. too, but so, that's that which comes across here too. So that's going to rate very, very highly, and in, in my opinions on this album is when you use music to uh, to achieve um, uh, something strong, and 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 this kind of did it. But this thing, that was an observation I had that sounded like Eminem. It's very consistent for them, except perhaps the Eminem part because they're not often, you know, pursuing Eminem styling specifically. They're more going for, like, a general club trance hip-hop thing. Um, but I do kind of like that they're making fun of a particular group here, the gr- a group that we might know very, very well as, as Staten Islanders, the, or... the macho type. They're jerks. Their lives revolves around going around and getting suntans and going to the shore and living the high life, at least as, as they see it. But this twists that idea, that, that concept, into something that's not traditionally macho, which is, well, men marrying men. So yeah, essentially, <laughs> the overarc of the song is it compares over-sexualized machoism to homosexuality. And it, it's taking this, this thing where often the joke is made that homophobic people are actually closeted homosexuals. And it's taking it in that direction. It starts with singing about spring break and just peppering in the marry a man line and then by the whole second half of the song is only about the process of getting married but between two men i also think it's a joke on the ridiculousness of it all how yes. of course you know gay marriage really has nothing to do with machismo you you can have there are very very macho gay people out there so that could be what they're doing just kind of mixing in the person the personalities together like all yeah. right well this is just a this is just a very macho person who goes to Cancun and uh, some of the crazier lines in there. Oh, doing doing uh, coke off of girls' asses and things like that. Ridiculous things that, of course, you hear from crazy, crazy spring breaks. And when you add up all these lines together, you're thinking like, oh, God, I know the type. I totally know this type. And then it has really just one punchline, and that's marry a man. And yeah. it's like, oh, okay, all right. I didn't expect that, that, that you know, that would be... That this guy would be gay. So it's playing off of perception, I think. How perceptions are kind of ridiculousness. Are, are ridiculous in itself. You can go down... You can be macho and be gay at the same time. That's it. You can. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I don't... I think it goes a further step. And that is to basically call out all of what society labels the douchebag and say, Grow the hell up. Because, yeah, we're going to make fun of you, and you really do sound like a moron. Because every single one of the lines that is not taken from the perspective of marrying 
really does say stupid things in stupid ways. Pranks when you're passed out, jokes about roofies, making girls kiss, marry a man. Giant sombreros, show us your titties, creatine shakes, marry a man. No, literally, if you take every other line, it's, it's right out of any spring break story you could think of. There's nothing special about anything else. I mean, it's all stupid, stupid. Can- Cancun yes. spring break stories. So that's the thing here. I, I feel like... That, no, I think this is exactly as simple as I made it out to be. If they were going any further with this by simply saying, oh, well, by explaining how stupid the the um, uh, the the type, as it were, is. or It's funny because that's actually the, the YOLO no, type, this, isn't it? That's this, the YOLO type. We're kind yeah. of going back on ourselves here, or they're going back on themselves. This is specifically all this talk about homosexuality, marrying a man, talking about picking up flowers... Choosing one, the menu. One step at a time. This is specifically to challenge their masculinity and the fact that they fear so strongly about how people perceive their masculinity. Uh, yeah, okay, I guess I'll go with that because this is. Yeah. I mean. That's pretty much exactly what the song is going for. You're not a man unless you're pounding pussy and shooting beers down your throat and everything like that no that's bullshit that's what this song is completely about yeah all you're right. not no you're not a man you're not a man at all you're just being a little child so here this is us saying yeah these all men right. are being men they're getting married and furthering their lives yeah, there they're you go. being you men. want to be a man make love to another man but that's the thing <laughs> no 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 here's the thing but in the same exact track that that the they're the men doing this. Those are the men. So uh, the way I perceive it is within the context of the song, all they've done is just it's just added another another trait to this character. And the trait is just simply which that is, he's gay, which, which is, is my, almost, no, almost irrelevant. But that's what I'm saying. It's a challenge to their sexuality and to the persona they per, they project. I will agree with that. I think that's the point. I, think that's, I really, yeah, I really do point. think that's the this point. This song is not for us. This song is for Spring Breakers and Jersey Shore people. And it's challenging them. Challenging them to think differently about their, their, their lifestyle and who they accept within their social Forget circle. Forget that. Yeah. I, think they just, yeah. I think it's just to piss them off. And that I kind of like that. Sure. Yeah, that, 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 that follows. Um, all right, well, I, I guess we kind of got that down. Now Although, you know here, I'll give but it, now I'll you know give why it I like that song. No, no, I got that. I, I, I didn't say I didn't like it. I, just, I, I still thought this was one-dimensional, but I think it was more on the sex, successful side of one-dimensional. Right. But I, the more I think about it now, I do think it is, it is easy to take the song the wrong way, especially when you consider that looked at a different way, you could almost see that final line as, oh, I was stupid on, on, on spring break, I went down there and, and oh, I accidentally got married to a man because I was drunk. <laughs> Like, you could almost see it that way if you didn't read every single line. So, taken, taken fleetingly, th- this yeah, might not have that profound effect because people aren't going to read into this yeah, as Yeah, but I don't are. think... I disagree with Steve. I don't think... I mean, I, I disagree with John. I don't think it's for the Spring Breakers. It's for the people who hate the Spring Breakers. And they're going to notice those lines. And you know, I'm going to say it's both. Piss off one group and make the others feel better about themselves personally. And why can't it do both? Yeah. And I look at it and I'm I'm like I'm happy it does both. Well, it it's is a, it shallow. is another layer. That's, but no, that. that's shallow. That's a shallow way to look at it for from my perspective. But you know what? I'm kind of happy it pisses them off. Okay, moving well, it's, forward. I, I, I will. I, I'm no. I have one more little thing about this. It's um, kind of like that line from uh from Yolo, the battle cry of a generation. 
I like how this is called Spring Break Anthem because it's a play on how everything's got to be an anthem now. Yeah. Everything. Just, just write your own music. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need more anthems. Uh. Okay. So now we hit track 12, which uh, actually I thought was a very clever setup to a song-wide joke. So this is called I Run New York. Um, it starts with the character having a press conference from the perspective of a mayor claiming that a lot of rap stars say they run New York. But he, in fact, actually runs the city of New York. And I want to interject that this is another song that has direct influence from Eminem stylings. And so it's featuring Billy Joe of Green Day, and he helps sing the choruses. And it's essentially the first... Oh, really? It, the first two verses are about how he actually runs New York. He runs the marathon, he gets no respect, he has trouble with sanitation, and what it takes to run the city. It's it's a a song about street cred, which have has been done ad nauseum, and you're right, uh, Eminem has done his own share of them, real slim shady and all that. This is somebody who doesn't have street cred; he has credentials. This is the guy who's actually cred running cred. the cred. city. Just call and, it cred cred. <laughs> yes, but it it's it's actually got some pretty good lines too in it with. In this lake of bureaucratic bullshit, it's a miracle I don't drown. I mean, I like it. It now, feels like a me. smart person instead of the more uneducated idea you tend to get with these street cred songs. This this really did grow on me. It it, it seemed. I mean, it, it again, yeah. It's it's playing off that whole self-aggrandizing thing, but it, it really does take on a new meaning when you see the 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 object of self-aggrandizement being someone who really does have a lot to worry a lot of a lot of shit on their plate um and who has more shit on their plate than the mayor of new york of course we all like to you know badmouth the mayor of new york uh here and there and sometimes we give him cred but of course what at the end of the day it's a very difficult job no matter what you feel about him excuse me for trying to help you they won't be satisfied until i'm locked up in bellevue i guess they don't tell you this job sucks dick i run new york and i it feels like shit yeah, yeah. I'm sure every mayor and governor and most politicians who have had to run an organization like New York City or larger has thought those same exact words. You just have to put up with a lot of BS and a lot of of hectic stuff and trying to please everybody, and it sucks. Yeah. Positions of power just suck. Because New York is full of many, many different groups, all of which have their specific needs. So, yeah, it's amazing how this is, as a comedy song, maybe, of course, we are New Yorkers, and Andy Samberg, he's a New Yorker, too. I mean, they're all from SNL crowd, they're all New Yorker ilk. But, um, so, yeah, it's kind of specific in that regard. You kind of have to know what New York is like a little bit in order to get this. But, um, hopefully anyone should know how difficult any position of power is. Right, and then the and po- I, I know we're taking this really seriously for a comedic song, but it maybe it does hit a little bit home, considering you know what New York has gone through over the years. Yes, we know about. But there's still a punchline, and it comes in the third verse when he talks about how he has to don chainmail and a samurai sword, go beneath the street and fight giant fire-breathing rats. Because, because if, he, the- if he doesn't, who the hell is gonna do that? Because on the equinox, a hell gate springs. Releasing hounds wreathed in the blood of kings. That is pretty good and line right there. No one even knows. They just think I'm a dork. 
but I still killed those fucking dogs because I run New York. And that's the punchline. A two versus a relatively serious, this is the crap you have to deal with to run a city, capped with, but I also have to kill giant demon monsters because that's my job. I'm I'm not just the the mayor, I'm the guardian of of the city. Yeah. Which is like a whole nother Highlander kind of a level that he's building into this song. Which, yeah, the punchline is pretty darn good. Good song. It is pretty good. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely warmed note. up to this song. It's um, it's it's pretty solid, because it's a funny concept. And it's not a See, face. Seeing the mayor, especially you know, considering Bloomberg has been our mayor for the last fourteen years, and you couldn't get any more of a kind of just a a a, a kind of a, just a businessman. He's got the businessman look. He doesn't look like he would possibly be you know fighting any kind of demon. But to imagine him in that position, it's kind of funny. Yeah, and Think that's the it. idea. Yeah. Um, moving on to the next track, track 13, um, I Don't Give a Honk. So this song, A, is exclaimed as not a Lonely Island track. It's the not honking around crew. Um, this song is another one that they were trying something and it just falls short. Um, there's no real joke or punchline here other than they're replacing curse words with the word honk and that they're not cursing but still bringing up situations in which you would substitute cursing for honks and rhyming words with the word honk and that's a big problem i have with this song because i like clever lyrical play obviously it's really bad in this song it the 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 forcing of rhyming with the word honk just falls flat for me because it's very unnatural to my ear trying to say i give out candy like willy wonk Mm, it, it, but I'm just... also going to bring up that there are a lot of rap songs that rhyme stupid things constantly to make it work. Let's look at the entire catalog of Fred Durst and and Limpiskin and rhyming the same word with the same word or rhyming making up words or changing how they're pronounced to rhyme it. That does make it good. Does not make it good at all. <laughs> no, no, I, I I get that, yeah. and that's what I'm saying is this is representing that ilk of hip hop that. They just force rhymes and force lyrics that it's lazy don't make writing. Sense. Yes. So yes, I you're right. I guess it's kind of a, but I don't think that's the point of the song. I think the point is more the cursing. The point is the the substitute of the word. Yes. The substitution. That's that, that's the point. That's what I'll agree with. And it's kind of weird because if you've been listening, we've been cursing a lot because they've been cursing a lot. This is maybe the only actual full song. That doesn't have a curse word in it on the entire album. Yeah. Well, that's is... the thing. I mean, they're trying, again, if you're going to do satire, you sort of have to stay fairly close to the source material. And what better way to do that is to bring in the same attitude that requires the same kind of potty mouth, um, to put it lightly. But, uh, yeah, this this after so many songs, they do kind of turn that around. And I do appreciate them for that, at least, by by just tackling another... Or attacking another facet of the community uh, that, that puts out this material. You know, why why do, why do you need to curse in every single song? There's yeah. no reason. But so I just, it, I d- it does attack it on that level. It's just not, again, that's, one, that's another one-dimensional kind of thing. That's the, just, the single shtick. It's a single shtick that's not executed in a clever or creative way. And the music behind it is not also executed in a clever or creative way. And I think that's the biggest problem is that it's a one-dimensional thing at face value that also has no other, nothing else going for it. And that's where it falls short. Yeah. All right. 
So let's move on to track 14, Three Way, The Golden Rule. So this is featuring Justin Timberlake and Lady Gaga. It's the characters that Andy Samberg and Justin Timberlake have cultivated that we mentioned in the intro. The two guys who sang Dick in a Box and also did on the second record, Turtleneck and Chain, a song called Mother Lover, about that special Mother's Day. This is their third track in this trilogy of these characters called Three Way, The Golden Rule. And it's got the same style, which to be honest, I mean, considering you're saying third track in the trilogy. Yep. Um... It, which it's yeah. story. It's Third track in the story, because who knows what they're Considering they're this. spread out so far, it actually is pretty impressive. They've managed to keep the style so close together, because I'm listening to it, I'm like, wow, wow, that this is almost reminiscent. Um, because we're getting them so far apart. But they're um yeah, they're very consistent with this. This is that perfect duality of Sandberg and, and Timberlake, which uh uh again, it's not the entirety or anywhere close to the entirety of Lonely Island, but when you hear it, it it's so it's almost relieving. It's back to their their essence, their core. Yeah, it is comforting. It yeah. is it is an old friend. And and because and, of the style of music is is very similar to the previous two tracks. And the style of music period because it's got those 80s/90s soul riffs that almost make you nostalgic just in and of themselves. Um it's it's got and it's, it's hard got, to describe it's, it's, exactly what soul means to me as a listener. No, it's Because I'm not a big fan, but... For me, it's really the low Andy and the high Justin playing off of one another. I love the way that their voices are so uh, different from one another, and the the tete-a-tete, the back-and-forth that they do when they sing together. It's just really, really... It's just fun going back and forth between the two. And also, I like how in these songs, they link them together. Like, this song starts with... Oh, by the way, your mom says hi, Jinx, referencing Mother Lover, which was the last track that they had done as these two characters, which which is always just fun. But the song's plot and premise is essentially the two of them are going on a date, they show up at the same place, realize they're both going to say the same girl who's voiced by uh, Lady Gaga and sung as Lady Gaga. And um, it has that overblown, sexualized idea from the 80s, the early 90s, that was present in a lot of music videos and and uh, uh, soulish music, and it's they like it we're, gets, well we're it, everyday guys but we're tantamount to porn stars essentially yeah and it's got that kind of I think they're going a little bit too far in what they're doing and some of the lines with yeah you're meant to feel kind of awkward in right. that in that SNL sketch way which again back to the essence. which is what they've done in the previous two it's just a continuation of the idea and I think uh, adding in Lady Gaga was a good choice because her voice. The, she doesn't get many lines, but she really does accent it very well. She punctuates certain punctuates moments. punctuates very well. And so the song is essentially them showing up and her going, well, she wants to freak with both of them. And they discuss, well, we're best friends. No, we normally don't. It's okay in a three-way. It's not gay in a three-way. Because they're the golden rule. Yeah, and that's why I want to read this this hook. Because the hook, I, I think, actually is the best part of the song. And, and perhaps one of the most memorable musically on the album. I know it's not like a major, major point here. But, well, a, a good hook for a song like this kind of is major within that within that context. Right. And it's just, it's okay when it's in a three-way. It's not gay when it's in a three-way. With a honey in the middle, there's some leeway. The area's gray in a one-two-three-way. That's, that, that, it's catchy. It's yeah. really catchy. And it's well-written, especially for a hook. Not, not uh, overtly complex, necessarily, but the basic wordplay is, is, it, it fits it fits. It really does. Yeah, and it's very it's singable. Not, not yeah. even very. It's instantly recognizable and singable. You'll get it on your second repetition. 
on the second time that verse comes, uh, that chorus comes around, the hook comes around, you got it. You're you're gonna be grooving along. Yeah. So this is one of those cases where I'm not gonna really bother analyzing this because it, the, no you know, this, it's just this, a good song. Yeah, that's it's it. just a fun, yeah. good song. Wow, how often does it come that we that we just leave it at that? It's a good yeah. song. It's good. Yep. It's good. It's good. It, it, comedy helps. That's the thing. I yeah. guess like within the soul context, it would be a very basic average. I, I know. Actually, I take that back. Based on this hook, I think it would be a popular soul song. Although you know, the lyrics are a little bit more memorable when you consider that there's some ridiculousness there. Yes, of course. That's it. Um, moving on to track fourteen is called "Meet the Crew," and it's very simply what it is um this is a song where they introduce all of the members of the crew starting with the three members of lonely island as the main and then characters that are made up after that that each of the respective band members plays um from fat uh, i think it's fat bob to tiny the, the rich guy who's got a very dark sense of humor to tiny Whose name is ironic. He's twelve feet tall and, and his, his life, life is, is hard. Di- uh, hard, not difficult. Hard. It is. Piccolo Pete, Sick Eric, Smooth Guy, Creepy Zeke, Boring Steven. Although I take offense to that, there are many Stevens in the world who've done very great things. They're very interesting individuals. Thank you very much. Continue the whole. The, list. the whole song is a satire of the call out crew song. And even at the end, it's like one third of the crew was able to call. They've listed in. twenty names, and it's only one third of the crew. And like, I, I, I have a favorite. I know John. I think his favorite tiny. was Tiny. But my favorite was the crew member named Greg, who's speaking through his cell phone. He's like, "My name is Greg. I had to fly home. It's my mom's birthday." Like, it's just the silliness of this. I have song. no favorite. They made fun of Stevens. They've lost me forever. I will never forgive them. Uh, I'm but, sorry. Would you like a, a hand? Flight of the Concords did it too. You remember That's that? Okay. Yes. Remember that? Steve. Did Steve tell you that? I don't, I don't like this anti-Steve thing. Really dumb. So we'll continue to review the album without it's Steve. A, it's a nice... It's, <laughs> this is almost another interlude. It's just a lot longer than their previous interludes. Because the... it's not... This really song... This song itself is really... It's a, it's a, it's a running gag, but it's really unimportant. Well, I'm going to say from the gag perspective... All right, I'll cave. I liked it a little bit because it, it from the gag, I almost kind of want a little bit more um, sketch comedy in here, maybe. Because maybe that's the thing that's a little bit lacking in here. There's definitely some other songs here which I wouldn't really equate them to sketches. It's really kind of cramming a sketch into a song where this is really just a sketch. This is introduce all these random characters. Hey, what, my crew. It's up with my crew. I got them all in the house here. It's so it's so absurd. And again, it's so familiar because I, I know the type. And maybe that's the thing that gets me most about Lonely Island is when I think back to people I know that that um, I almost want to roll my eyes at. And also look at them like, wow, but I you think are a character. The... And these they are all about making fun of the characters. But I think that's the point. That's what they're going for is they want to make you roll your eyes and have that very visceral yeah. reaction um, and I think I think that's that's a a point of success for them yes I like the song because it's funny but I just don't think it's actually any I just don't you know I'll say that it's eh. it serves I'll count it along with maybe uh uh whatchamacallit the the interlude where Brooklyn at yeah. I'll count it with that as as kind of a comedic interlude service and like yes there is there the is a backbeat here but yeah it serves the same point well, yeah, the backbeat yeah. is irrelevant because of, of what it serves this is all about the characters and the story and that's it there's nothing to really analyze beyond it's just a story and it's supposed to be funny that's <sighs> it 
And now we're going to move on to... The worst song on the album. I don't even want to say it almost. Okay. The song is called I Fucked My Aunt. It's featuring T-Pain. T-Pain originally featured in one of the Long Island's arguably most popular song they've ever written called I'm on a Boat, which was just... It was all about that Cribs feel of the gaudy, overblown nature. Well, this song featuring T-Pain is called I Fucked My Aunt is awkward disjointed the humor misses the mark it's not funny it all here's what it is each verse is a story that just ends with something completely different where he goes i had sex with my aunt and then he repeats it a few times and then the next verse is another one of the characters going oh this is another story and then coincidentally i had sex with her sister and then i the third verse is the same thing ad nauseum they're yeah, okay, if you had an actual joke punchline to the story you were working on originally, it might have been funny. No comedy really here. I feel it's like just... this was written just to make shit really awkward the next time you see your aunt. I mean, it's it's really kind of annoying in that regard because they keep harping on it. They keep repeating it. The chorus is literally just shit. Like, oh, man. Shit, I fucked my aunt. And oh, that's man. all I'm going to say in, in, in this particular thing. And that's like... It's disturbing, and I think that's the point. Obviously, it's the point. I mean, I don't think they really were like, drop the ball on this necessarily. I think it's, it's that they were going for the type of narrative that you often see in a lot of, uh, in a lot of, eh, I don't even, I can't even think of a genre where this kind of thing would actually occur. But in music in general, you will occasionally come up with narratives that try to to get across. An embarrassing story, right? You're almost meant to sit there and sympathize. Of course, the punchline is, well, that wow, what a ridiculous way to end. Your punchline is 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 disturbing, but that it, disturbing is not inherently funny, and I think this really proves that rule. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think the level in which it's supposed to work is simply making fun of that narrative, because when you're telling an embarrassing story through the medium of music. I, I, in general, don't like it to begin with because it's odd. There's yeah. Well, why would you tell it through music? I immediately recognize that. I'm not really able to enjoy the story on the same level, perhaps, because I know that if it's coming straight from the artist and if it's evident that it comes straight from the artist, that that's weird. Why would you say it? If you're embarrassed, how could you be truly embarrassed about it if you actually told it? I know that that may, might be reading into this a little bit too deeply, but it's what I pick up from this. I would I pick the same thing up from this track as I would from any other song with that style of narrative. I agree, and they did not make it funny because of the premise is really messed up and yeah. the jokes weren't Let, good. Let's be fair. We didn't find it funny. Someone might. I think it's... I agree with you guys that it's embarrassing like, that's like and on the, That's like on the level of, of incest humor. Like how far can you go with no, it? No, of course, and I agree, and there's yeah. a level to how far you can go with humor. I'm just saying that I don't think they sat there and said, let's write this thing that's not funny. Like, they were trying to hit a note that clearly it does not match our sense of humor. However, the follow-up song, After I Fucked My Aunt, takes us into a simple state of silliness. There's a lot more <laughs> toward the end of this album. There's a lot more of these one shots here, um, which you know they they're going for either one thing and it either hits or it misses. This one, we are a crowd. It, it's it's a very very blandly sung. At least when you consider the 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 crowd that is that is singing the lyrics of this song, it's it's a very bland delivery of what they do together as a group. It is the group think, the 
everything that we think about right now and 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 if you're not one of us well then you're not part of the song it's, it's we are together yeah we are not alone. It's almost a we cult. We are cheering the it's thing the together. Mark. It's the cult. We are at the event that we are really at. Or the... Was that the line? Not that far. That would have been funny if that was the line. You, should, you wish you would have submitted that. Uh, it's, it's, it's very monotone. But it, it's all the ladies say, yeah, yeah. All the guys say, crowd, yeah. Like that's, that silly not really paying attention, just being loud and there that's what the song is about and it really does work as well a, it works but yeah this, it's loud this is, and there again well maybe the word of the day, word of today is not uh i think it's one-dimensional i think that's the word of today because this this just goes for that and that's it it takes that style of song again the group thing which it almost yeah. goes back to the kid t- kindergarten thing because yeah. in the first track you have kindergarten do something stupid because we told you to so it's that suggestibility that I think this is kind of answering back to. Yeah. Only this is more from the crowd's perspective and not from the artist's lyrics perspective. Right. This is the, you know, well, almost a DJ's perspective also. You know, that whole rouse the crowd kind of thing in an almost ridiculous kind of way. The whole job of, of a um, an MC, for instance, is just to rouse. He needs to be convincing if he's going to be a good MC needs to get up there and effectively rouse people and make them do exactly what he wants them to do. Yeah. Kind of strange that, that club uh, music revolves around that kind of, that oneness, which is almost eerie when you think about it. Maybe that's a little prudish of me, but uh, but um, that they, that's, they seem to agree, because they're making fun of it too. That definitely seems to be the case. Yeah. 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 This one's a very simple song. All right, we're coming to the end of the album now. We only got a few tracks left. The next song is called "The Compliments." This song, I really, I. <laughs> so this song first. I really enjoy. So this is featuring Too Short, or Two Dollar Sign. It's, it's so too RG. short. It's too short. Anyway, it's it's funny. So the song is essentially it starts with Too Short singing about how you know it's hard to find a guy. So ladies, listen up pay attention while these guys compliment each other. And so they start complimenting each other. And it actually does start out with each band member complimenting a different band member in a very sweet and touching way in the first place. Like, daw. Yeah. It's it's not even aw. It's got a D in front of it. It is hitting, like, that is such a nice thing. Good thing we're friends. Kind of a level. Being nice to your friends? What is that? I know. What is that? I never heard that. It's kind of weird. So Apparently sh- people do that. That's a thing. But you got puppy dog eyes, and he'll make you a brunch. That's how good of a guy he is. And it does a great job of really doing... Showing uh, these it, characters it, build up each no, other. and the opposite of the I'm awesome song. Yeah, the I, I'm, I am awesome, I, you should love me kind of a song. This is, no, this is a great guy. You should, you should get to know him, and he, you should be your friend. But the joke starts to kick in when you get to the second bridge where two short sings and he talks about how when they asked him to do the song it was when they pitched me this song they were kind of vague but i said fuck it i'm in because they said i'd get paid one thing's for sure these dudes are weird motherfuckers so sit back and listen watch them compliment each other and so now it's a second verse of compliments but this time it gets a little more lewd there's more sexual references and some other things it's still fairly complimentary it's very complimentary but they start getting more graphic about the compliments it's of each other. It's a little other. too personal. 
He's got a great penis. It is awesome <laughs> and golden, and you'll look upon it and be like, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, they're they're pretty graphic with this, but I mean, I, I still think, well... And it starts to know, break the, the level... fourth wall a bit. Yeah. And then, of course, it gets to the final part with Too Short, where he pretty much decides that... They're yeah. hot on each other, and while they're with you ladies, they'll probably be thinking of each other. I think if this had one lasting effect on me, it was that joke on borrowing raptor, rappers. Yeah. Um, not raptors. You, you don't want to borrow I don't raptors. want to borrow a raptor. Yeah. But borrowing rappers. You know, you see this in so many songs, it's become kind of a trope at this point. It's like, alright, our, our, our bridge, we're going to bring in a really, really popular rapper, and he's gonna kind of contribute to our song, and it will therefore make us more popular or somehow promote the song, somehow. But in this particular instance, they're incorporating him, and he is weirded out by the song, because of course, that is the disconnect. Because yeah. many of these cases, you know, I, I will cite many instances where I don't think that a, a rapper belongs in a particular song. It's like, well, I was kind of on board with it, and then we had they that just, problem with Drake in yeah. that Beyonce song that he was in. Right, and then they go down that road, and it's just like really that that was not needed. It wasn't needed for this particular medium, and this is just a complete play on that. You know, rapper enters in, and even he knows he's not really he doesn't want to be a part of this. Yeah, he's weirded out by it. He would rather leave. <laughs> but he's gonna get paid. I'm gonna get paid anyway, so. Moving on that's, to track. That's the joke. Moving on to track nineteen, we have "We Need Love." So this is the second performance of Guy One and Guy Two. They were featured on the first album, singing "We Love Sports" or "We Like Sports." We love sports. We love sports, and we so, don't care who knows. Sports. So this is Guy One and Guy Two are characters created um, that are the everyman, but they're completely monotone and expressionless. And this is a song about not wanting to be promiscuous. And not wanting to sleep with anyone. It's that they need love. And they don't want meaningless sex. It's now, the exact opposite of the old hip-hop aesthetic. Music now, music first here. It's so early 90s, this backbeat. It sounds like it was made on a Casio. It's a demo tape, essentially. Like the most inexperienced rappers that you could possibly find. Which is the premise of Guy 1 and Guy 2. These are, uh, as, a, as a recurring persona, that's, a, that's what they're going for. These are everyday men who really are, are kind of just normal people who in their own mind are much more epic there they're, they they these guys are satisfying women per their own words constantly all the time they're tired of sex they don't want just sex they don't care if you're attractive or anything like that they want a relationship now but it's from the perspective of that guy who in social media and everyday entertainment magazines is not that guy he's he he is not promiscuous you know he's not getting all of the sex it almost reminds me of the demo tapes that you would find back in like these 80s era of eighties era demo tapes. They've actually resurfaced right now in the YouTube generation and you can find them and it's it's this it's that same thing. Like the straight laced forty year old gentleman in a in a in a suit and tie with with eighties era glasses, I'm going to try and make my foyer in in the rap community. You know, it's almost that. Um but of course mixed with all the uh with all the silly one-liners for there. I, I think this actually has a little bit more power for me because almost to the same extent that uh, We Are a Crowd did because of the plain delivery. You know, they're not even really rapping. They're, 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 speaking. Spe- they're speaking 
in so, unison. So in in unison and in meter, there's no there's no flow there because there's no change up in the style in which they're speaking. It's all very yeah. very very even. Uh, so that obviously points to inexperience. But it's certain little quotes here that I think is another talent um, or another positive behind what uh, uh, Lonely Island does. Ridiculous quotes like this. I'm a butt man and I like boobs. Put them together and we like you. What? <laughs> but or, I laugh. I mean, it's 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 funny because... Yeah. It's because. That's I'm, a, I'm that's a freak in bed. How about you, guy too? Yes, me, too. That rhyming, that that deliberation of yes, I am a freak in bed, but so I, monotone, I so matter factually. You're starting to make me realize here, actually, that I think the, the real success behind this is the fact that it it has pacing. Yeah, which has, is what we've been lacking throughout the album. It has pacing, and it's deadpan. It's completely deadpan. Yeah, but it almost is the. It's a kind of a change up in this in this sort of bleak you know second half of album period here it just it changes up the vibe you know we had almost like uh song after song of of exploring the machismo you know and seeing how many different ways we can make fun of that this kind of goes the opposite way around instead yeah. of exploring the machismo well let's let's explore the ineffectual <laughs> yeah the ineffectual affectionate it becomes a, it's really it it seems like a conglomerate of the worst possible lines you can use to get laid, coupled with the confidence that everybody should really have in their life. Yeah. To I be wish, so blatantly blunt about what they want. I wish I was this confident, yeah. but so much better at talking to women. And even though uh, it, it almost seems silly to go back to it, I, I do want to cite music as a um, as, as a strong proponent of this track. I mean, I think it's Absolutely. a strong factor here. I'm feeling... The choice uh, is, is, is perfect. It's well, got it that familiar... pairs well with the way they're singing. Yeah, and it's it's still, it's it's familiar the same way the golden rule was. It was a uh, harken back to their earlier stuff, and it's it's that same sort of level. It's fun. It's enjoyable. It's just a good song for me. Yep. Moving on to the final track of the record. So this is called Perfect Saturday. Um, and it's mostly a narrative song. What really hooks this song is the, the great music the music this great funk sound that starts pretty much from the moment the song begins i'm a sucker for funk and we've had it we had a couple instances of funk earlier on this album but i mean here just the bass that that steady drum and alongside it the strings i'm sorry but i'm such a sucker for that once you layer <laughs> strings on top of a funk riff it it, it literally i'm you have me that's it yep. that is almost as easy as, as it uh pretty easy job actually but um and people are kind of critical for funk but for no reason um because it's so simple but you know what what works works and uh it almost made it to the point that i didn't care what they were saying little did i know there was actually a story going along there because i was so into the groove there is a story and it's basically these uh it, it, it's kind of a party party story the progression it's, of a party so it's almost the antithesis of the guy one and guy two to a point as far as character goes these are two characters who are describing the perfect saturday and how they met with these fine freaks the night before and they're going to see him again uh, see another set of fine freaks tonight and they're really pumped for it and they're going to smoke some pot and then get ready for their day they're going to take a my shower polo shirt and wash my balls and it's going to be pretty awesome and then the doorbell rings they think it's the freaks early but no it's a, th- a friend. No, 
It's an acquaintance. It's an acquaintance who shows up needing to hit the head, needing to use the bathroom. And the dialogue between them about how he can hold, he, he, he needs to use it, and they say no, and they want him to go, and then he can hold it. And then, of course, the fine freaks show up. But at this point, the character who has to go to the bathroom has already crapped his pants and stunk up the apartment. Freaks run. This Characters is- are upset, but claim they're not. Lead the character who crapped himself down a dark hallway and kill him. No, no, no. Not just that. It's the last line he utters, which is, You're my only friend. Bang! That I just... This is not the first time they've done it. They did it on their previous albums as well. Just that one guy that you wish was removed from your life. But then, as if that weren't enough in the song, song fades out, fades up again... And um, and uh, Kiva the- comes to say, you think you were going to get out of this album without a fart joke, motherfuckers? You think that we're different now that we've got some money? And pretty much does the typical rap sign-off. We're big, motherfucker. You need us. We did it in your face. Here's fart a fart joke. joke. Toot. Yeah. And it was... I loved it <laughs> as an ending. It truly is a conclusion for a... Lonely Island record, you, you couldn't really have closed it any more profoundly. It's the only conclusion that yeah. you could have If you're going to do done. the most typical rap, R&B, hip-hop album of ever, that's how it had to end. It's it, There's no other way to end it. It has to do that, Cat Call, we'll be back, 2014, yeah, we're going to bring it down and it's going to be awesome and you're going to love us even more so. But with their Lonely Island slant of, yeah, fart joke. If there was any uh, fault to this final track, I feel like maybe it could have used a little bit more, maybe a little bit more pacing in the buildup, perhaps. It had sort of that weird Al Yankovic style of kind of rambling on and on, which is maybe why I was zoning out to the music, because uh, the buildup of the story wasn't quite as engaging. But it was a great punchline. It really, really was. Yeah. A great conclusion. And I mean, that end bit about, you know, you think we can't do a fart joke. I mean, that's, this is, that, him saying this is Lonely Island is, it, it's the best way to end the record. Because it's true. They're Lonely Island. Essentially, all their humor amounts to a fart joke. Yeah. That's I hate to really say it because uh, it's, there's a lot of attempts at depth here. They really did try to do social commentary, but they're just so comedians, it's almost like they couldn't get out of their way uh, and and go a little more serious, which it, it didn't work all the time. Now, the album itself is very funny. From front to back, I really do enjoy almost every song, and with uh, just just removing... Dramatic intro, uh, what's it called? We're Brooklyn at, and I'm a hustler. There's still 17 tracks on this album. That's, for me to say most, it's like 15 songs on here I'd laugh at. That's really a very good comedy anything. That means it's keeping me engaged, and I'm enjoying it. Now, upon repetition, you have to enjoy it, and that's where you get into the musical aspect of a comedy music album. Since it is, in fact, musical, that means I'm going to want to hear it over and over and over again. That's a song. The best part of this album is that none of it really sticks around too long where I get tired of it. There's a few exceptions because I Don't Give a Honk is really does drag by the end of it. I'm not a fan of that song. And F My Aunt, because I'm tired of cursing during that song, 
it's just meh, meh. It's it's junk. It's disgusting, and it's really just it's a bad joke. It's not even really parodying anything because I really don't know. I mean, aside from the narrative thing I was talking yeah, about, what are they going anything for? with that kind of punchline, like even even really really bad hip hop stars don't go down that particular route. Uh, it's, it's not just it's, it's awkward, and ever almost universally is agreed upon that that's an awkward subject. But you're talking 15 out of 17 songs that are that deliver punchlines, and I've already listened to this album like five or six times. It's got repetition for me. I'm starting to skip here and there because I don't want to hear certain jokes, but. I'm going back to it. It's got a little too much text at times, though. This is a wall of text. There isn't a gap more than five seconds that they're not singing over. And that, from a musical standpoint, is a bit of a problem. It's hip-hop rap. I can take repetition, but I want to breathe every once in a while. I want to hear some exposition on the instrumentation. It's just something I need because it's going to propel me forward. I don't want to have to be listening to this as just a joke. I want to be listening to this with some music on top of it. For that, it brings it back down for me. Um, on the flip side, the words are really good. There's a lot of back and forth on this album for me. It's it's kind of, kind of weird for that. But all said and done, it does a great job of doing what it's supposed to do, and that's making me laugh. Ain't world changing. Isn't even quite a four, but I'll definitely put it on the high threes. This is a three seven five album. For what it is, it's excellent and in general it's it's still pretty good as music. Yeah. Um, alright. Let's see here. I, I, I am going to be very, very strict with this as in rating this as a music comedy album. It's why we brought it on. Um we're our music first and foremost. Uh, adding the comedy element is just, uh, it's just sort of a tricky art. It, uh, it hasn't always been in existence, although there is kind of a comedic element to music anyway. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, so stay tuned. But just taking this album right here and the whole concept of what Lonely Island does, because I did mention earlier, you know, they have sort of a one-track shtick. It's sort of interesting that I chose that choice of words because this album here has sort of sticks within their greater shtick. That's kind of what they do, and it occurs on a track-by-track basis. So there's a little there's a little gag there. But their shtick as a group, I pretty much summed it up in the beginning, is, you know, making fun of these styles of, of pop music. Uh, the really... Primarily the heavy... The, the heavy machismo-based stuff. I think even if you just look at this album, the amount of, of tracks that deal with that subject really does give this album a, a a definable theme. But at the same time, that's the band's theme. There's nothing really special about this album in that regard. The whole band's theme is that stuff. If you look back to their previous work, you go to the track like I'm on a boat. Well, that again, that that's that's the same concept which we see explored here. That's that ridiculous uh, materialism involved in being macho and having something so uh, so iconic, perhaps? I mean, that's not the word, but so in your face is having a yacht, you know, a really, really tricked out yacht with all of your bitches lined up or Or it. I'm the boss with all the fantastical things that he does, which, because he's the boss, he can do them. 
Exactly. It's um, yeah, it, and I I do really. It's it really is just as I, as I said in the beginning. You know, sometimes I go back in this stuff when I give my intro as 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 to where I um, end up, here at my wrap up. But I think this is almost exactly the way I laid it out. There's not much has changed over the course of this album, uh, in in discussing it further. They, I I appreciate just as I said in the beginning. I appreciate what they do as comedians. The it it makes you think, on just that one level. Pop can be really, really dumb sometimes, really suggestible, and it doesn't often uh, contribute um, to society's betterment, as if it makes any pretense that it does. But still, I support them for, for bringing this to the public eye. In that regard, I, I need to just look at this particular album and see how much more special it is. I think... I think maybe it's a little repetitive. Maybe it's messages that still need to be repetitive, because obviously society doesn't seem like it's changing anywhere yet. But it, it still is a little bit repetitive. The subject of machismo has been attacked, and I don't think it's been attacked here in an especially creative way when you look at certain tracks here. I, I do like tracks like Go Kindergarten, which brings it so much to the attention that it's even... In fact, I, th I think that's a case where it succeeds. It goes back to that, you know, go all or go home. If you're gonna attack something, then go really, really strong. Don't just, don't just go halvesies on it. Go, kinder, uh, go Kindergarten is a really, really good, really good example of that. It, um, it goes all the way. It reduces, uh, suggestibility to get stupid. And I kind of love that. It's, it's a hilarious concept. Um, Looking at certain other tracks here, I think YOLO has is profound. We've already gone through that. Diaper Money is a lot stronger than I originally made it out to be. And uh, then I think you have a lot of tracks that just sort of broach the topic. Not to their to the best of their ability. Spring Break Anthem, kinda. I Run New York, eh, more so. I don't know. I don't think this is something I will be going back to a lot. Maybe specific tracks, but looking at the comedy element, I was not roaring throughout this album. I think that pacing is really, really, really what they needed um, uh, to keep the Lonely Island a a a running thing. I mean, I do want to hear more albums from them, and I would like them to progressively improve. But at this rate, they might be running the risk of of getting stagnant as a group um because people will think of them as a one trick pony i still think they're they're uh very creative within that framework but you know really push the edges of those framework that's where this album succeeded most to me so when you take that into account i think i'm exactly where john is at three seven five seems like a very fair um it's not quite a four four would probably be something that that i feel was a more unified product this had too many ebbs and flows to it i mean you guys kind of covered all the bases the highs were really high but the lows were rock bottom so you know the in-between you know and the in-between stuff kind of coasted um i i think there were some songs i favored more than you guys but i mean we tend to not always be on the same on everything i mean unanimously go kindergarten and yolo are the two strongest tracks on the record and I also think Semicolon is up there with the two of them. Even though I know it's kind of face value, I still think it's very clever, especially in the punchline delivery at the end. It's also kind of telling that Go Kindergarten and YOLO is the most socially 
uh, commentary of the songs. This one actually does talk about real life stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, I do want to spend just a bit. Well, I haven't even given oh. my rating yet. Oh, f- so. excuse me. <laughs> I forgot that. So I'd like to finish up. and We we actually ran really long on this episode. I didn't expect to do that with Long There were 20 dialogue. tracks, to be fair. But, um, so, I think that, on the whole, I mean, it's not that different from what they've done in the past. The first album, the second album, also kind of ebb and flowed the same way. There were highs, there were lows, there were interludes I didn't like, interludes I did like. Um, there are no songs I really hated except for... Um, the T-Pain song that I don't even want to mention the title of anymore because I'm tired of talking about it, and Hustler. I think those songs really just fell super short. You know, I don't give a honk. I still am entertained by a little bit, but mostly just because of its stupidness, not because there's any skill involved in that song, really. Um, That said, though, I, I do like it, and I think I'm pretty much in the same place. I wanted to rate it higher, but when it comes down to it, a lot of it falls at a very face value. Whereas in the past, I feel like there might have been a little bit more creativity, at least on Turtleneck and Chain, the second album. Um, whereas this fell a little shorter. I feel like Turtleneck and Chain, if we were to have rated it, um, would have rated higher. It would have definitely broached four or broke it. I do want to interject that it might have been partially because of the, uh, the wow factor involved with them starting as a group which is why i said that there might be some fear of them you know stagnating i really don't want them to i do want them to progress but that's the thing when you got tracks like i'm on a boat it's just like oh i love the subject that they're attacking right now this is just so needed to be to be uh parodied and ripped apart yeah you know third album in eh, up to you so on that note i i'm locking it into 375 also um that said (laughs) if you like comedy this overall rating is listen to it. It's still not, still don't miss it because it's still funny and it'll still make you laugh. It's definitely worth checking out and I'm quite a fan of of Andy Samberg and honestly, I want to see a comedy written for Andy Samberg and Justin Timberlake or maybe a comedy musical even or something. Like, I just think that the two of them play very well together and I could see them doing a lot of great work in the future. As a closing thought, I I think two things could have really made this album better. More filled out music, for instance, music that just makes you more engaged and, and uh, stops, as John said, that wall of text feel that you yeah. get when it's just like, you know, I'm basically getting a sketch written out here. Um, and then the other thing is... Uh, more Justin Timberlake. <laughs> Which is probably Timberlake. the only time hey, that's I'll not a bad that. one. That's um, not bad. It's not a bad one because it would, you know, maybe bring you back to the essence. Although I still want them to, to, to push away. But uh, I was going to say more multifaceted satire yeah more stuff like yolo go to the next level more stuff like yolo and go kindergarten and less stuff like i don't give a honk and i I fucked my ad that's 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 exactly pretty much the base level that's exactly it um you know and i I, i'm realizing now as we've talked about it to, to broach the topic of comedy and music is so broad we would need a much shorter album to really get into a detail this could be an intro i i do want to discuss uh the subject of satire as music satire specifically because it's primarily used in the form of a comedic style it's not going to be a a major component of any sort of comedy album and it's not always comedy but satire is something that's very difficult to do without coming off as kind of tropey we have so many tropes and a lot of people can look up that word and a trope is something that because we use it often, 
something that gets repeated ad nauseum that it becomes sort of mainstream in this idea. Say a guy with a samurai sword who's white in an Asian film, that's the guy who's going to kick ass everywhere. <laughs> or there's a big guy named Tiny. That's a trope that was used in this album. Satire is something a little bit darker. Uh, not darker, a little bit deeper. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Satire, yeah, a trope. I was a little confused by what you started to say because I thought it was that, well, types of satire can be a trope. And that, well, that's probably true. Although I think good satire inherently, or maybe satire period, just by the definition of the word, should be something that is fairly outside the box. It should, by definition, maybe not even be tropey at all. It should it should really make you think about something in a way that really hasn't been presented before. Maybe that's just my particular way of viewing satire, but um, it's it's definitely how I, I see uh, the best satire that's ever been done. Well, I also feel like comedy music has different levels and different ranges between something like this where com- the comedy the comedy is at the forefront, but it doesn't really go hand-in-hand hand with the music, whereas some other bands make more of a career being clever, and they're not out-and-out, laugh-out-loud funny, like I'm led to lead towards... Jonathan Colton, like we talked at length very early in the podcast's life cycle about when he got ripped off by Glee, but the song that he was ripped off on was his very folk version of Baby Got Back, which is funny, but for in a different way, because it's clever. He took something that's very, you know, the original song is very in your face and very, very much hip hop and turned it into a folk song, but still keeping the lyrics exactly as they were. Well, also the thing about satire is it's very tricky to kind of, if you have satire is based on specific things it's based on a specific a specific focus of of what you're really trying to bring to the table as as ridiculous or as um or as as just quirky and trying to present it again in, in an alternate way uh if you have a shtick that you're that you're basing your satire around uh, maybe that does lend itself to um Tropes. To being tropes, and that's right. that's really what I what I base most of my concern about uh, today's album, which is really such a shame because I really really love making fun of, of that particular group and that type of music. I, I I think that Lonely Island was a brilliant idea when it began, um, and I I want them to perpetuate that because clearly it had satire has a goal to it, and I'm not well. It's a while trope. I don't think that Andy Samberg and his crew is are going up there is to say we're going to. Uh, you know, dismantle uh, the music industry from these, from these absurdities that are kind of ruining culture. I don't think that's really up there in his mission statement, but you know, it's got to be somewhere in their mind as as artists. But you could look at a satire, and I I'm kind of paraphrasing here, as a a trope that goes the extra distance to create meaning and content besides delivering a punchline. Yes, that that's 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 ideally what you'd hope for. Like so, say say a group of robots singing about life. <laughs> I mean, we've done a lot of that bands does create meaning besides Steam yeah. Power Giraffe. We've talked about a bunch of bands um, and musicians that kind of do that sort of thing. It 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 is a satire. It is a joke. May not always be funny. It kind of is satire, but, but I, I would wonder what they're really making fun. Of. I mean, maybe they're making fun of, of course, the musical style. That's the thing. And in, in in this case, of Steam Powered Giraffe, their music first, their comedy second. Um, I wouldn't rate them as a comedy music album, but 
I would even say that The Heist had an actual comedy song on it in Jimmy Iovine, which was a satire. And maybe it's just me, but I laugh during that song every single time I listen to it. And I see, I don't even call that a satire. At the same, that that's a, that's a, I mean, it's an autobiography essentially. Yeah. That's that's what happened. So in those particular events, I'd say Thrift Shop around... would be more comedy than than Jimmy Iovine was anyway. It's actually, yes, Thrift Shop is a very very good example of satire, and yeah, it's it's okay to kind of look at this within the lens of of music music that isn't always intended for comedy, but if it has the uh, side effect of comedy, well, great. And Thrift Shop is a pretty good example of that because that's that the satire there is is making fun of of the of the materialism. In fact, there's not really that much uh, separation between uh, uh, what Malcolm Moore was doing and what Lonely Island is he- doing here today. It's making fun of that materialization. How really gold chains, you know, all that all that uh, bling and all that stuff. Do you really need that? No, I'm perfectly content to to go to a thrift shop and, and get my grandfather's hand-me-downs. That's all I need. But I'm going to sing the song in the same style, the same manner, as one would who's really talking up the high life. That's satire. That's perfect. That's a perfect example of satire. Um, you can find this in things that aren't music. You can find it just in... Uh, I, I think satire has that inherent irony to it. Always. It has to, kind of, in order to function as satire. Such yep. as... Uh, from the literature standpoint, there's that Jonathan Swift, uh, that that short novel about how, um, excuse novelette or or more of an essay really on the subject of of eating babies as a solution to solve, uh, world to hunger? solve world to solve famine, yeah, in Ireland and and uh, and England at the time. It was uh, it was it was really really astute for its era, and it kind of still holds up. It's a hilarious thing to read, um, so. Yeah, satire can be done in many forms. From the musical standpoint, it's just, again, it's tricky. Although just on that Jonathan Swift topic, could he have continually written on that particular subject and done that forever and forever and forever? Probably not. It was just that. It was an essay. It was a single subject. If you were going to bank off that, then you need to have, you need to really brush up your chops or you have to have a lot to say, a, a, a plethora of subjects. I almost get the sense that the Lonely Island has a vague idea of, of what to do of and the where of the going. plethora and the 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 various subjects, but it always kind of seems to come back to the same thing in the end. Um, it's almost like they watch Entertainment Tonight and make fun of that. Yeah, but they don't really try to figure out why well, that ba- is as funny as it well, is. Well, they're also been rooted very much in co- pop culture and making fun of pop and hip hop. The- and the themes in hip hop and pop, on a base level, tend to be very repetitive. Hence, their material is reflecting that. Plus, that, they that's have a true. they have a healthy dashing of the slapstick style. Not you know anvils falling on heads, but it does have a very animated kind of a feel to it. All of their music with. It, it's got that kind of uh, uh, punch to the face that you kind of are looking for. You know, that's a curious point, Matt, because you mentioned that it it's based off of uh, that style of music that's repetitive, and that's why their satire reflects being repetitive. And what I just posted them before is, well, you know, you maybe you can't do that based on, on a right, particular subject. they may subject. have to branch out. But that's interesting because if if you haven't changed 
not that again, not that satire always has to change, but I feel like it's always a little bit of the uh, subliminal goal there. But if if you haven't changed the concept, then maybe you can satire it forever. But or either that or people don't care enough to really respond to the satire. People who go after that type of music will still go after that type of music, and they'll still eat up all that all that crap, you know. Tell me to get stupid. I don't know. I'll, I'll get stupid. I'll get stupid right there on stage. I'll get my friend to do it too. They'll they'll eat it up. They won't mm. even. Granted, not so literally, but in effect, they will. What do you What do you want me to do with my finger? Okay, give me a knife. I'll cut it right off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, jump off a bridge theory there. There you go. Yes. So, I think that we can get way more into yeah, This is yeah. just an intro, and I would, this is specifically on satire right here. Which Comedy is, music does not have to just be satire, no, for Sometimes instance. it's just... Reed Al Yankovic didn't do satire yeah. in every single song. Sometimes it was absurdity for the sake of absurdity. Yeah. I think that this is a strong introduction to where we want to go with comedy music, but I think we need more time to really get into the heart of it. Yeah, these album reviews, so long. They, they are dragging... <laughs> well, I'm... We gotta pick shorter. Length, no, they're long. <laughs> shorter, they're shorter long. track albums. Twenty was a lot to take. That tackle. doesn't always help, though. No, no, Orca. We were, yeah, Orca <laughs> took us an hour and a half to finish, also, and that was a half hour long. Right. And it was four pieces. Anyway, to steer us in the direction towards the end zone, since the Super Bowl was just the other day. Yes, I'm putting more timestamps on this. Steve, why don't you take us into Fantasyland of the Wonderful Spam? That was a really boring Super Bowl. The wonderful Spam. Spam. It was one of the first play. It's kind of ridiculous. Can someone please explain the post like I'm four? Heh. Bye. Sure, I could. Wolfgang Rangel. Wow, it almost sounds real. <laughs> Wolfgang I mean, Rangel? Sure, it sounds like a, like a power explain ranger. Explain the post? Yeah, explain the post like I'm four, yes. Wasn't that on a picture? Uh, actually, I think it was yet again on our no podcast this week. Oh, okay. Oh, There's no confused. podcast this week. I don't. How much more simplified can I get? Really, I need help with this. John, don't try and start explaining it. Just go into what your album is for next week. Next week, we're revisiting somebody who I haven't heard in about a decade. Against me, with their newest album, which I believe came out only a few weeks ago, transgender. Uh, trans. What's that word? Transgender dysphoria blues. You didn't get your album title right. <laughs> no, transgender dysphoria blues. Yeah, we'll okay, all right. Well, we'll we'll see that. They Check are that. a. I've heard a lot of different descriptions. They're an alt rock indie band. Okay. I'm sure it'll be something. Matt's supposed to be the guy that goes back to the 90s, not you. Indie, no, this is, I'm only going back to bad Indie isn't always inherently 90s. In fact, it has a stronger following in the 2000s. Then again, this band did form in 1997. Anyway. Duh. Uh, well, whatever. I've never heard of them. <laughs> nice so I guess try, Matt. There's really? one for everybody. Nope, I've never heard them before. That's surprising. Anyway. I, I, I do know them. I think I have a couple of their albums, although I don't haven't listened to them in ages and... Have no idea if it's still my taste, yeah, but no. we'll see. I saw this. I was I was intrigued. It's been a while, and I saw they were actually getting good reviews. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely dive into that next week. Um, I'll sit with it for a week as we. It do. was nice to attack something a little lighter this week. We'll definitely jump back to uh, comedy music in later this year because there are definitely some other albums I want to. Touch I hope on. to get back to this topic sooner. I haven't yes. even broached the 
10 minutes cannot do it justice. No, definitely not. We will definitely approach this more or maybe even discuss it in an article. Who knows? Crazier things have happened. On that note, in wrapping up... First off, R.I.P. Douglas Richardson. I will miss you, good neighbor of my life. Um, Also, R.I.P. Philip Seymour Hoffman. He was a fantastic actor and a good person and New Yorker from what I've heard. I know a lot of people who've had local wonderful experiences with him. It's a shame to lose him. Um, On that extremely depressing note music is life and life life is good good. what was that